Right then, back with episode 13 now of The Midnight Pod. And you'll notice it's the first episode ever with two guests. Probably not the last episode ever with two guests, but it means my neck gets less strained fucking recording these things. We're back with three angles as well. Um, and again, like, I guess this isn't the first, like, non-purely entrepreneurial one at this point by the time this comes out. But it's probably, like, one of the more interesting ones, I guess. How do I introduce you guys? I suppose... We've got Brucey and Nutty, both Royal Marines, um, and both, was it last year? Rode the fucking Atlantic, which is like shit that people, I feel like, talk about doing they never actually do, but you've actually done it, which is mad. And myself and, and Bruce go back, what, like 10 years? More than that, actually. Um, back to rowing days, back with... 2009, I YCRC. think. YCRC. Yeah, yeah, fuck, what's that, like 12 years ago now? Jeez time flies and yeah just fucking keen to get you on because every time we catch up it's a good chat there's always some crooked stories about interesting shit you're up to and it makes my life feel very boring in comparison but I guess first question as usual um, and just to both of you really you can can kind of cut in on each other play how you want but like well I suppose how did you guys well you got different stories obviously but I guess firstly like how did you get into the Marines what was the story there I guess like a bit of background from both of you and then maybe a bit of background about, about the Atlantic Row because I want to dive into that a lot and really how, how the fuck did that come about basically no, okay so we'll start kind with, of like three questions in yeah, one really uh, we'll start with the first one is how did I know about the Marines so my my dad was a Marine mm. so that's how I knew about the Marines and then um, I used to be a builder beforehand before I joined the Marines I did that for five years I did an apprenticeship and then I thought, you know, now's the time, I think. Yeah, now's the time to join the Marines. So I joined it at 20 years old. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I haven't haven't really looked back since. It's, it's been great. Yeah. Yeah. How about yourself? So, Brucey, um, I knew that school wasn't for me when I was about fucking 15 years old. And I was just looking for ways out of fucking Yorkshire, mate. Yeah. Finding you an exciting thing to do and um, the Marines seemed like well I found out about it about the right place and the right time and I thought fuck yeah that's what I want to do yeah different path for sure and like how long ago was that then for you for both of you I suppose so I I um, joined Marines and started training in um, 2013 and finished training in 2013 yeah lit how about yourself? It started in 2013 and finished in 2014. So did you start together? Is that how you met? No, no, we didn't start together. He was, uh, I think you were a couple of troops ahead of me. Probably about three or four troops ahead of me, I think, maybe. Yeah, I, 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 I made nothing never cross paths until our heavy weapons course in 2015. Yeah, yeah, that was the first time we sort of got to know each other quite well, which was, it was a great course as well. well a really, really good course. Anti-tanks. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Firing big yeah. guns. <laughs> this is literally a world I know absolutely nothing about well very little about compared to like obviously like e-com digital marketing shit so I feel like my question is going to be so fucking ignorant but getting into that because like I have a mate that we, we just mentioned off off camera previously um, I won't say his name but he trialed or tried to get into the I think SAS reserves I think it was what it was and then ultimately failed even though you know super super fit and shit like in terms of like army, I mean, I'm going to sound so stupid, but like, where does the Marines like slot in in terms of 
I guess the bigger picture of like you know that whole world like army marines SAS so in the, in the is there like different levels and shit yeah I'd, I would I'd say so in the, in the British military the army basic training is, is, is quite short and a lot of them go to specialise and do other things after they finish their training and the ones that continue to do a lot longer infantry training they're the better ones and um, the Royal Marines basic training is uh, 32 weeks long and it's not easy yeah. it's physically demanding I'd say and yeah mental robustness as well helps yeah yeah I'd I, I, I say the Marines are one of the better outfits within the British military I'd say so yeah and how long did it take you to like get in was it, is it a case of like say I wanted to join the Marines tomorrow what's the process basically and how likely am I to get in like statistically and and if so like what do I need to be good at so the you can first join the Navy which is the Marines is part of the Navy you can first join the Navy when you're 15 years old and 9 months and when I was when I was that age I went into Leeds to the Armed Forces Careers Office like the Tuesday after when it first opened up again after the weekend I went in there and said I want to join the Marines and then um so you you first have a lot of tests. You have to do like little bits of bullshit, like a physical test at a gym. Yeah. Like certain gyms sign up to the armed forces recruitment scheme, and you go and do a two point four k run on a treadmill and some other weird tests. Go and get a medical, and if you if you if you were lucky and you're trying to push the process, you could do that within a couple of weeks. Then you you do a um, something called a PRMC, which is a potential Royal Marines um, course. C- course, yeah. Mm. And then you go and do that. And that, that's this, that, to this day, that's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my entire life. And then um, once you've once you've passed that, then you get a date where you start training. Yeah. And you said one of the hardest things you've ever done. Like, obviously, we met through rowing. I know you mentioned earlier that was rowing training was hard. Like, how does how does that training compare to rowing? And like, what does that actually entail? So with the with the PRMC, it's your first exposure to um, I don't know, like military style stuff. So we when we was rowing, it was always in the gym, and yeah, we'd 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 start a training session and finish a few hours later, and you just got absolutely thrashed for about three days on the PRMC. Yeah, and it's just it's mentally harder, you know, because you you've never you've never done anything like that before. Mm. Was that when you were 15 months? Sorry, 15 months, 15 years and nine months. <laughs> no, I was 16 at that time. Oh, you 16 at that time, yeah, yeah. And in terms of like people that actually get in then, like what's what's the stats on that? And, and, and is this just fitness stuff at this point rather than like weaponry stuff or whatever? Yeah, yes, predominantly fit, fitness fitness to begin with. And then you move on to learning about how to use weapons and things like Don't that. Getting crazy. attacked by a- Dash hound. I'm getting licked to death. Five minutes of sausage. <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh yeah, Tokyo's back on the pod. Yeah, he's either sleepy or crazy, and today he's chosen to be he's chosen to be bad. <laughs> yeah, fuck. So, do you remember? You said there's over 32 weeks. Or is that a separate? Is that a separate stage or something? No, 32 weeks is once you pass the um, the like the aptitude, like the PRMC. Yeah, yeah. It's the once you pass Marines course, and then um, once you pass that, you start training, and it's 32 weeks long. And that's to be like effectively fully qualified, I suppose. So once you finish those first two weeks, you get given your green beret. Yeah, yeah. And then depending on where you go after training, you do different stuff, I guess. 
Yeah. And then where are you based at that point? So me personally, I, I passed out at the end of um, 13 and then like a few weeks before Christmas, went on Christmas leave and then at the start of January, I went straight out to Norway. Yeah. Which for me just felt like a continuation of training. And I was still flapping, you know, at 32,000 feet. Um, for me, that was just a continuation of training, you know, he's getting beasted by the... Yeah. By the lads that you joined the company with and by the um, people running the Norway package. Yeah. And then, like, day to day, and we're probably going to chop and change between a few things before we get on to, like, the... Probably the main thing I want to talk about, which is the fucking Atlantic row and stuff around that. So, like, you're in the Marines, you're 16, probably coming on to 17 at this point. Obviously, most people, myself included, I had actually just quit rowing and was fucking... I remember speaking to you about this, I think, years ago, and I was just, like, literally in, in fucking sixth form, doing, like, very standard, boring shit. What does, like... I suppose, what does, a de- what does a, like, a standard Monday to Friday look like in that situation? But then also, like, over a year, what does, like, a year of being in the Marines at that point look like in terms of, like, training Fuck and actually being, it, out, doing, really good question. being out of, like, base? I was my first year in the Marines. I was really lucky, you know. I got to go away a lot mm. and do a lot of um, stuff. So I went to Norway. I did mountain and Arctic warfare training package in Norway. Then came back for about a month, and then we went out to the Middle East. And um, well, between then, I did a mountain training package in the Macedonian Alps in um, Albania. Then we fucked around a lot in the Middle East and um, and um, East Africa, and then we came back. But um, when, when you ask about day-to-day life in the Royal Marines, depending on how busy, depending on how busy the unit is or the troop or whatever, you'll um, it can go from doing absolutely fuck all, just watching Jeremy Kyle and drinking cups of tea, because <laughs> <laughs> maybe you do the odd range package, and go and um, blast some um, rounds down range on a fucking Wednesday or something. I don't know. It's it's so varied, but if when when there's nothing on, they don't really you really get left alone, you know. Because yeah, lads it, need to do their own it stuff. It can be a hundred miles per hour sometimes. Yeah, and feet don't hardly touch, touch the ground, so it is. It can be it's a lot of sitting around. Yeah, but then make sure we do uh, PT all the time. Lots of fizz. Yeah. So yeah, keep yourself fit. And the onus is on you to keep yourself fit. Oh really? After you pass out of training, yeah. And then are you living? I guess well excuse my ignorance, in, in like barracks or something, like are you all living together like full time in like a specific place? You yeah, so, so keeping so, yourself um, fit. How does this that is, work? This is, this is within base. Like, lads can live off base and commute if they want to. Yeah. Don't matter where they live, it, as long as they can fucking turn up at eight o'clock in the morning, that's sound. Mm. But I, I never saw the point, so I always lived on base and you have flats, there's like blocks of flats on base, you have six dudes in each flat. Yeah. It's, um, it gets pretty wild if you're living on, say, you're yeah. living on camp, does, like, Yeah, some weird stuff happens. Like. High testosterone environment. Yeah. yeah. And is that like, do you get to choose who you live with? Is it literally a case of like, is it like similar to like fucking school or sixth form uni or whatever? You get put into like flats just with so, people. So when you first pass out of training, you may not know anyone or just the people you're in training with. You Now you, you pretty much get um, put where you want to go. But if you know someone and there's a free space in that flat, you can, yeah, you can just there's jump nothing on in. stopping you jumping in there. Yeah, like. yeah. It's pretty yeah. good in that sense. Yeah, so I guess probably, well, more intense than Ryan, let's keep coming back to that, but like 
you, do you get to the point where you're either really good friends with people or you just want to fucking kill them? I would imagine living with people all the time. I guess it's like boarding school or something, which I never went to. Like, yeah, I, I, I get it. There's a, there's a certain type of person that um, passes out of Royal Marines training, right? So mm. you, it's, it's, it's completely diverse, but there's a certain aspect of them that's the same. So you, it's a really interesting place to live. In my, in my time in the Marines, I've known Michelin star chefs, people that have done the fucking serious stints inside prison yeah people with all crazy kinds of weird fucking degrees and is it is it generally people obviously you were like 17 when you started is it generally younger lads or can people join well I guess two part question is it generally younger lads when they start or can people join at any point and then secondly yo fellas quick one first bit of promo for the pod you may or may not have heard i released a fucking e-com course a few months ago basically spent like six months making it because i was in between businesses as you probably know if you follow my shit i must say 12 hours long it's fucking quality content especially for the price it's at now i was gonna drop it at like 1500 quid with some bullshit guru-y webinar and all that rubbish but as you know it's not my main thing i'm working on a new brand right now very very fucking much in the trenches which is why i think is actually a better course than everything else out there because it's built on real experience of my brands in the past and my current one so yeah long story short i've dropped it to 299 quid which is fucking criminal to be honest because it should be way more expensive than that i think it's super super valuable if you're interested in e-com you're already in e-com and you want it to get into e-com zero to one starting a brand from scratch then definitely worth investing in link is in the bio of this video or podcast spotify apple music wherever the fuck you're listening or watching and enjoy the rest of the pod is there like certain ranks within the marines I mean, of course there probably is but like how does that look as you get older and progress and so on yeah see uh, back when we were started training i think you could be the oldest you could be to join uh, recruit training was 32 or 31 or something yeah. like that and then like the youngest was 15 years and nine months you can apply that's the application so when when you're 16, you can start training. But yeah, I mean, as you rise through the ranks, you normally cor- your corporals are normally in their sort of like late 20s to early 30s, and then you get your sergeants that are in their late 30s to going on to 40. So yeah, it, it takes a while to promote sometimes in, in specific branches within the Royal Marines. But yeah, yeah, You've got a full spectrum of age. Interesting. So you can have some really experienced experienced people and I'm, I remember there was one lad in training in, who was training with me he was 31 and he had a high flying job in London mm. working working I don't know what if something to do like banking or something like that yeah but he decided to just pack that all in and then join the Royal Marines and, and go through training yeah it's complete lifestyle change yeah complete lifestyle change yeah I think it. that's what people are looking for sometimes yeah geez it, it does make my day to day sound fucking boring to fair a lot of the time and then so like again excuse my ignorance because I'm asking questions because I just literally don't know like so in like a standard year obviously you've been in like eight years now a bit longer nine years eight years right yeah eight, years. eight and a bit something years how much time are you I guess just in one place keeping yourself fit as you said <clears throat> compared to I guess out on I don't know what the right term is deployment a fucking job what what would it be called when you're out doing something specific and and I guess secondly like what are those what are those things so you can what sort so of it's things different different level um you can go you can be deployed hmm. um uh, and you can also go away for training exercises for example you can go to America or something like that and you trained in the Mojave Desert was it. 
Yeah, we did it for a couple of months out there. Yeah, so you can you can just you go out there and do a high level of training out there. Yeah, but then you can also get deployed on a ship, and that the ship will go somewhere. So yeah, yeah, folks, doesn't sound like a boring day at the office. Sure. <laughs> you can get into a good routine on on ships, especially if they're sort of like going. Right when we joined the aircraft carrier, a brand new aircraft carrier, HMS Queen Elizabeth went all the way over to. Halifax in Canada oh, so that's the, the journey over took a bit of time mm. and then sort of like you're allowed to go ashore then we pretty much hit, drove down the entire um, <laughs> yeah we pretty well we stopped at a load of places on the way down but we drove all the way down to Florida pretty much mm. about 30 lads in five different well, they call them soccer mum cars in the States <laughs> but we had these things called Dodge Caravans mate and they were fast as fuck <laughs> and we just road trip down the eastern seaboard but every so often, like, this wasn't just a fucking holiday, right? We'd stop at various different military outfits. These were already pre-planned, and we'd do a bit of training with some various different people over in the states, and then um, finish up in Florida. Yeah, and then so, so like time split-wise between being in the UK and being abroad, then how does that look? Or so I've, that I've, I've spent I've spent almost exactly a third of my days in the Marines outside of the UK. Mm. doing various different stuff and that's, that's, that's not including boat stuff that I've done yeah which is, I, I just call boat stuff all the time I've spent paddling and rowing mm. which which probably makes up at least another third of the time that I've spent in the Marines and do you get like much choice in terms of the sort of things you're doing it, like is there like certain people that will specialise in certain disciplines like yeah you can you can choose your specialisations there's quite a uh, a vast array of like specialisations within the Royal Marines and that's how mm. we first met on the anti-tanks course so anti-tank gunner is is one of I think 15 different trades you can do within the Royal Marines yeah so yeah. and what would what would some of the other 15 be? Uh, you can have mortarmen you can have clerks signalers uh, vehicle mechanics Mountain leaders. Mountain leaders. That's a really. So there's, that's a there's, really there's something in the one. Marines. It's called a ramp, which which means a rear echelon motherfucker, right? <laughs> <laughs> so say, say someone joined the Marines and then became a vehicle mechanic or something, they just spend all their time fixing the wagons and mm. they're not really doing much. Yeah, just putting putting this nice back in the pack. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. Okay. And then in terms of like, I guess probably what I was trying to partly ask as well like training compared to being out on I don't know is, is a mission the right term like doing specific jobs is I don't know how to put it really uh, trying to think how would you put that so you call mission. it you call it deployment deployment like you have the winter deployment so you're going to mountain and arctic warfare training in um, Norway or something that's a deployment. Everything, every, I think any time you're spent out of the UK is called a deployment. But I'd say a tour, a tour of a tour of duty would be something like being in Afghanistan for yeah for eight true. months or something. Yeah, yeah. They call that a tour. And how much of that have you done in in different places? Uh, I've never I've done, never done a tour of duty with any action. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then. Coming on to the, the rowing then, elements of the rowing. So obviously, one thing I wanted to get onto was fucking rowing the Atlantic. Obviously, we go back from rowing as juniors, which 
you said was one of the hardest trainings you've ever done, but oh, geez, I don't know how that compares now. But how did that come about then? Was that initially through like stuff you were training on or just like personal interests outside of day to day or? So um, I always, I always um, well, I finished rowing at York City and joined the Marines and then I started um, doing sprint and marathon kayaking. Yeah. Uh, ultra distance marathon was my, was what I did. So I started paddling these ultras all, uh, every few years. And then that's, that's why I met Nasty again after the anti-tanks course actually. So he, he was always asking me to fucking... To, there's a race called the Devizes to Westminster which starts in Devizes in Wiltshire and it finishes at Westminster Bridge which is 125 miles paddled in one hit in a kayak in a, in a kayak mate, yeah. Yeah, yeah two man kayak okay two or something two men in a kayak and I I'd, I think was it what year did we paddle Nutty 2019 we paddled yeah I think it was 17 or 18 where I I'd, I was paddled I was chasing the clock and I spanked in at, at Windsor about 85 miles in like I spanked in hard there's no way I was going to like I had to I, I pulled out at Windsor anyway yeah without making any excuses and there was no in my mind there was no way I was ever ever going to paddle that race again you know it's, it's hard like too too hard then I went went back joined Lima Company from where I was previously based in Taunton and I was like fuck and that he kept asking me Do, he wants to paddle the divisor I'm like Bruce you want to next paddle the divisors I'm like, never fucking doing that shit ever again <laughs> <laughs> he kept asking me and kept asking me and one night I think we were in um, a place called Little Creek in America yeah it was yeah it's, was that Florida or fucking Virginia or oh, it was somewhere right, yeah. we were somewhere Virginia, in America yeah. and then um, we we just got back absolutely fucking blind and drunk and I was like Bruce you were paddling divisors and I was like yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. No dramas, mate. I'll, I'll paddle the devices with you. And then, no, it was like, yeah, sweet. I woke up in the morning and I was just thinking, fuck. <laughs> what have I just said yes to? But anyway, if I said I was going to do it, I'm going to do it. Did you do it t- together the first time? So, I mean, we paddled in 19, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that you paddled in 19 and, like, people train all their lives for this shit, mate, to get a good time in this race. And then... We, no, he'd never even seen one of these sprint and marathon kayaks, which is, it's, it's, it's not, it's not a kayak like most people are thinking of a kayak. It looks like a rowing boat. It's like a long, yeah, like yeah. streamlined kayak, right? And they're pretty hard to sit in. So Nutty went from with no paddling experience to I'm um, coming top 10 in international competition on the devices to Westminster. Yeah, it, was, it was great. So yeah, it worked out really nicely. I got my first back, once me and Nutty got back in the boat, mm. I got my first back from these kinds of things and that was really good actually turned out learnt really quick and we pulled an absolute blinder there yeah it's good wasn't it so that's 125 miles in a kayak so how long does that take like a good time the, the time me and Nutty did was 20 hours and 2 minutes which absolutely devastated me because all I wanted to do was pull a sub 20 fuck <laughs> but it, 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 it fuck it sounds like it's an excuse doesn't it the, 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 the conditions vary especially on the Thames yeah. And this was this was a notoriously slow year. So if someone came ninth on another year, mm. that'd be like an eighteen thirty fucking yeah. time. But yeah, fuck, we came Honestly. ninth and it was twenty hours two minutes. Yeah, so we unfinished business. And then so as we were climbing up the steps, Brucey looked round to me, and I looked up, and he was like, "We're going to be doing it again next year." And I was like, ah, "Yeah, sound mate, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent." So that was twenty nineteen. You did the twenty two, yeah, twenty o two. 
Did you do it in 2020 then? No, mate, we started training for it. So we, I, I don't really do full-time training throughout the year. I just do a few paddles a week and just keep in the fucking, keep myself in the loop. But we started full-time training again in, in 20, but then COVID happened, so it got called off. Yeah, and then, so doing that sort of thing, is that like supported by being in the Marines? Do, do they just like, I guess, do they let you just go off and train for that and and how long do you go off and train for yeah that totally, and, and totally. That? so it, paddling never used to be well it did used to be then the corps got pretty busy with um, Iraq and Afghanistan and they never they never um, they didn't have the time to support that mm. but when you're in the corps if, you, if you're I don't know like bo- if you're good at boxing or good at rugby, yeah, rugby. you get yeah. pretty much unlimited time to train off as long as you compete with the I don't know like the Royal Marines badge on your kit yeah, yeah. so yeah. And then paddling started to get a bit like that now, which is nice for me because I fucking love it. But um, I, th- I, I think it's got more to go. It's got, it's got the sport still de- redeveloping itself within the core. Mm. Yeah. And did you ever look at rowing again, or was it always? Was no, mate. I'm too, small? I'm too small to row. You know. Yeah, true. I'm not. I'm not as big as um as Matty, like <laughs> height wise. Yeah, true. Just going back to rowing for context. What's he barking at? I don't know. Me and Bruce rode the the double score as as juniors, and yeah, national scores twenty twelve gold, a British record. I think which still stands. Good conditions, I might add, but nine years later. So yeah, I think I mentioned that like two episodes ago. Two episodes ago with the fucking Olympic rower sat next to me, which is probably rather embarrassing, but yeah, that's where it all started, I suppose. Um, so training full time for that then, like, what does that look like? Because this is a pretty fucking varied episode already. We've gone from being in the Marines to fucking training full-time in a kayak for a 125-mile race. Is that like eight hours a day? You do sort of very varying lengths of, of paddles. Well, Brucey has done two... Uh, no, you've done... This is your fourth device to Westminster you've done now. Uh, I've I've started five and finished four, which is like started embarrassing. Five, yeah, started yeah. five, finished four. So, yeah, it's, it's, the training camp's been different every year hasn't it um, but I've only done it I've only done the training oh no I've done the training camp twice actually so but typically, typically, typically we'll do one. we'll mm. do um, I say a strength session in the morning we'll do a sprint session in the morning where we'll wrap a few bungees and um, like resistance training in the morning we'll wrap something around the bottom of the boat to cause a bit of drag Yeah. do a few intervals do an interval training session you know, like some sprints then in the afternoon we maybe paddle between 20 and 30 miles down the river mm. and where are you training where are you based out from doing this and it, it varies all over the upper Thames so a lot of the time we're based out of RAF Benson near Oxford sometimes around Windsor yeah and we move we move so say we start the training camp at Benson so it's, all, it's some of the guys on the training camp this is their first time they've seen the course you know mm. and when it's pitch black at night and you've been paddling for 10 hours right I just have to pause quickly there because this naughty little dog started barking at his own reflection made us all think there was a fucking ghost in here <laughs> again which he seems to think every day but yeah so fuck rowing well kayaking just on like so it's, it takes you roughly 20 hours obviously just below 20 is what you're aiming for are you you sleeping in that period or no you're literally doing that no you're just paddling out. paddling non-stop and and, and when you when you when you so everything everything counts towards the time so there's 77 portages on the course, which is mainly on the canal, where you grab the boat and run around a lock gate. And there's a 77? 
Yeah, the longest of which is a mile long. Fucking hell, so you're running for a mile with a boat. Just, like running fast, like you've got the boat on your shoulders sprinting a mile. Yeah, like, it's, hanging around like... Really, yeah, really Jesus. going for it. It's 20 hours flat out fucking moving, mate. Yeah. As our, as our coach always used to remind us, <laughs> when we were um, hanging around, to like, Westminster's that way, chaps. <laughs> <laughs> fucking cheers, Rob. But, <laughs> but he's not wrong. He's he not wrong, wrong, old Rob yeah. King. Fucking hell, so... How do you think that compares to doing a, a 2k row back in the day, which takes six or seven minutes as a junior? 20 hours seems quite a bit more. But obviously the intensity might be different, but is it way, 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 way harder? Obviously maybe for different reasons. It's, it's, it's just, it's, you just can't compare the two. That, that 2k row test when we were rowing as juniors was is disgustingly hard. And also <laughs> you remember it as hard as so it's a cumulative effect of what has happened bef- mm. before you do this it's how you'll find the next thing right so you, you've done all this other stuff and it's all been pretty hard so the next thing is just one more thing yeah but when we used to row I'd never experienced anything really that difficult at all and <laughs> I, I, I just, re- just remember rowing on the rowing machine at York City Rowing Club was one of the worst things I've ever done in my life mate. yeah jeez 5k test of the junior is pretty fucked but yeah, um, I want to come on to what what sounds like even fucking harder is, I guess in a nutshell, you, you rode the Atlantic Ocean recently. Um, was it four of you? So you two and two other guys. Yeah, so we had we had a, we were both um, well we we're both good friends with a guy called Junior Macalini who's um, well he got blown up in Afghanistan, and he re- started his process of recovery afterwards inside and outside of the core. And um, we bumped into him by chance at someone's birthday party, which we crashed actually to try and get. Who'd also rode an ocean to get some ocean rowing advice, and one of the original four we'd had had just dropped out. And so we met Junior there, and yeah, and he was he was um, really keen to row the ocean with her. So how so how how's that conversation even start? So did you just did it come about by speaking to this guy or did, were you just thinking previously yeah I fancy rowing the fucking Atlantic Ocean which obviously to 99.999% of society just sounds ludicrous it's like where do you start with something like that isn't it yeah but, yeah we, we asked Junior and he was more than up for it because he'd heard his friend who his whose birthday it was had spoken about it a lot and he liked it and then he's always so he's been a, he's heard about ocean rowing yeah and he likes the sound of it, so it was it was kind of easy just just to be like, do you want to do it? Yeah. Do you want to do so, it? So so to go to go to go back a bit. This was just after me and Nutty had finished. There's a, there's a guy called Mick Dawson who's a world famous ocean rower, and he's done a lot harder ocean rowings in the mid Atlantic, like crossings than what me and Nutty had done. And then um, so he, he runs he runs a foundation called the Cockle Shell Endeavour, which um, it supports veterans wounded physically or otherwise to do something life changing you know to turn their turn their lives around and um, he'd already planned and paid for these two guys but one of them was suffering from strokes at the time and his mus- his missus rung Mick and said um, there's no way I can I can let this guy row down the Yukon or paddle down the Yukon and so everything had already been done so he started he approached the bootneck um, the Royal Marine sorry um Marathon Paddling Network and says is there anyone that wants to paddle down the Yukon 
And my mate Joe Maynard recommended me for it. And he was like, Bruce, do you want to do it? And I was like, yeah, sound. Down the Yukon, so. The, uh, the Yukon River, so in the Canadian Yukon Territory, just, just um, east of Alaska. Mm. So the, ra- the race itself is 444 miles long. Starts in, starts in Whitehorse in um, the Yukon Territory and finishes in Dawson City right next to the, the Canadian-Alaskan border. So th- this is a kayak race, similar to when we spoke yeah, about Yeah, yeah, it's, it's another ultra-distance kayak race, yeah. which is um, 444 miles, 715 kilometres long, which we, we did in um, 67 hours. And that, that taught me lots about um, humility and... Um, fuck, I could talk about... The, the dude I was paddling with was called Neil Marshall, and I could... I could fucking hell, I don't know where to start with that shit. But there's a lot. There's a lot of lessons that it, I learned along the way. So, so we were just speaking about 125 miles. So this one was 400 plus miles. Yeah, that's right. How long did you train for that prior to doing that? And, and, and was that 67 hours without sleep or what? Like most so of you have, you have, you have, you have a six, we, we stopped for six hours, 185 miles in, which everyone has to do. Like compulsorily stop for six hours in. It was almost three days. We stopped for six hours. Yeah, fuck me. But fuck, there's so much other shit I can tell you about that. If you don't mind me just gobbing off for a second. Yeah, definitely. Go so you, you you paddle, the, f- the first checkpoint's 54 miles in, right? There's a plane sailing down the river to, um, I think it's called Policeman's Point, just before somewhere called Lake Labarge, if that means anything to anyone that's listening. And then you've once you get 54 miles in, you're faced with a lake that's 36 miles long. And it typically it's, it's like a nice fucking calm lake and the, it's, it's quite a big lake, you know, like fucking Loch Ness or something. Mm. Think about that. Home Pierre Point. Nice. And we had a, we had a <laughs> pretty strong headwind with like two foot waves smashing over as um, faces in the kayak. And I was just thinking, all I thought was, shit, let's just get to the other end of this 36 miles and it'll be playing sailing again. Mm. So I just put my head down and fucking paddled, mate. And then night, night started falling. It, it doesn't get dark there because it's that far north where the Yukon is. We did it in the middle of summer. But it still gets pretty fucking cold. And so what did it take us to do 36 fucking miles? I, I don't know, like five hours or something. And by the time we got to the end of that, I'd just been nonstop paddling, like forgetting about my drills. You know, like every hour I used to stop and grab a handful of sweets or something mm. and just fucking eat something, mate. No, anyway, we got to the other end of that and it was the middle of the night to the second checkpoint. And I was starting to go down with... I never suffered hypothermia before, but I, I, I consider this pretty serious fucking hypothermia with nothing to compare it to. Anyway, I was almost fucking comatose by... As soon as I stopped paddling, I started going down. Neil dragged me out to the check... Every checkpoint has like an old drum fire and some race officials on it. Yeah. And yeah, fuck me. This was what, 80, 80 90 miles into a 185-mile leg? And Neil dragged me out of the boat and sat me down by this fire and gave me some fucking warm to drink. Like, he saved the race, mate. Without him, I would have been fucked. And he was the one I was meant to be looking... I, I was pretty much the guarantee to get him to the other end of that course. But, yeah. What sort of stuff are you wearing in this? If you got, you're getting that cold? Was that, like, was it wet or... Was it just the I, I don't know, man. I, got, I wasn't... We didn't carry a dry suit, mate, which would have probably fucking saved us, but no one does. You can take any Gore-Tex, any, any paddling kit you want in the world. When, when the waves are washing over the boat and smashing into you, there's no spray deck and there's no fucking kit that'll keep you dry. And yeah, mm. it gets pretty wet and cold out there. 
Fuck. Okay. And then do you find like, so obviously 67 hour race, six hour break effectively. Do you just go into like a state of hypnosis? Like, like how hard does it actually feel? Or is it more? When, it when, you, when, so you, when you're doing something at that length, it's a, it, I wouldn't even say it's an emotional roller coaster. How the fuck do you describe that? It's, it's, a, it's for sure it's a roller coaster. You go, you, you go through the fatigue stage about fucking um, fifty miles in, <laughs> and then, then it all becomes mental. You know, your body's already given all it can do before you think, "Fuck, it's time to stop." Mm. So after I got back in the boat after that, um, after that second checkpoint, I actually felt really good. I felt strong, like like fully good to go again for another time. Then you start going through the fucking hell. Then the fatigue, mental fatigue stage. Then you get through that. Then you're hallucinating. Then you get you, you just kind of go up and down between weird bursts of mental energy and mental fucking fatigue. And like, like yeah. I, I, there's no real way to describe it to someone that hasn't actually um, been in that been in that hole, mate, and seen what it's like or felt what it's like. Fuck. I might have to get myself to the Yukon. And and how long were you? training for this and like devoting to this event specifically so I I, I I didn't because it was an expedition on a plate and last minute everything yeah. was already paid for um, yeah everything was good to go so I just finished the divisors to Westminster and went out there to the Yukon three weeks later and I usually only try and do one one event like this a year and yeah I really fucked my um, rotator cuff and my shoulder for like two years afterwards Fuck it okay. <laughs> I think you, you couldn't exactly turn the Yukon down. No, you can't. Can no you? matter where you are in life, yeah. can you? Yeah, I was there's like, fuck, I'm going there and doing that races shit. as well, isn't there? So you've got the 444, you've got the 1,000, yeah, the and then you've got the 2,000 four, 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 four. as well. Yeah. So the the 2,000's only just opened up. Yeah. 2,000 what? 2,000s. Fuck it now. Yeah. These races vary. The, the intensity... Every, not, I haven't done I haven't done longer than the River Quest but anyone that's done the thousand you have to stop for six hours every 24 hours mm. like the tracker has to stop so you, you're sleeping at least six hours in every 24 hour period so it's, it's, it's less intense but it's much longer well it's over double the length yeah I remember you coming back and t- saying to me that it's such you know such wilderness out there it was it was so remote where you were going down it was Quite incredible, I thought. I saw the back, you showed me the pictures and things like that, and I was mm. like, you know what, it's a bit of me that. Yeah, um, fuck. I made a promise to Natty after I got back from that that me and him are going to go and paddle the thousand together. Yeah. At some point in life. Fucking hell. Yeah, we'll get there. And, like, how much harder than the Westminster race? Obviously, being like more than three times the length, roughly three times the length. Or is it more just. It's, it's it's a mental challenge it's a really hard one to answer because they're both radically different events so the the, the device the DW as it's known devices to Westminster is um most of that's at night because it's done at Easter weekend and it's just miserable paddling on the canal for 54 miles and then you get to Reading <laughs> then you paddle down the Thames at night and it's, it's just cold and miserable but in the in the in the um Yukon Territory, fuck, it's just, it's just beautiful all the time. It never gets dark. It's, mm. it's just a different beast, man. It, like, it's, it's longer, but you can't really compare the two. Yeah. 
I, I've, I, I always relate everything back to the, the devices. Jesus. Because we weren't paddling the Yukon for time either, but we did come third. But that was a happy accident. And we got beaten to the line for second place, 100 metres from the fucking finish line, which broke my heart. <laughs> you know, over, over a race of that length. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck's sake. But on the, on the devices, I always, I always take that really seriously. And, and you get, you're going to train hard and I try to save seconds at it's a long race but seconds matter you know mm. if you can save fucking seconds at every fucking opportunity it all adds mm. up at the end you have but a support fuck. team that follows you all the way down as well so at certain points they'll replenish your water um, put electrolytes in your water and things like that and they'll also feed you as well like they give you food like they give it to you like that Straight. what sort of food? Uh, just anything high uh, like flapjack for example or something like that yeah yeah just just get as as much as you can down you and, and carry on going yeah fucking hell and then I guess that that brings me nicely back to you've gone from this 150 whatever the Westminster was 150 miles right so 125 125 to a longer one in the Yukon and then you ride the fucking Atlantic which is what four and a half thousand miles yeah so after, 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 Canada, after I came but... back from the from Canada the, the guy called Mick Dawson, right, that I was on about earlier, he's um, running the Cockleshell Endeavour. And it worked really well for, for me and Neil, because Neil, Neil's in his 50s and he's, he's been through a lot of shit in his time, which is another fucking story in itself. And so, yeah, it just worked really nicely for both me and him to have one serving member of the military and one former member of the military in the boat together. So then the, the, the idea of the Cockleshell Endeavour changed. Instead of just doing something for the veterans, it was now something where the people that are still serving can do something like this with some of the members of the military that have let, uh, um, whatever's happened to them. Mm. Yeah, so anyway, we do, it works nicely for both of us. Mm. And then, um, anyway, yeah, something else. We were on the piss with me. Well, I, was, I used to start drinking with Mick Dawson down in Brighton every so often. And one night we were on the piss because he's well-established ocean rowers and a lot longer, harder crossings than what um, we did. He was like, oh, Bruce, how do you feel about rowing the, the Atlantic? And I was like, yeah, 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 sounds, sounds fucking... Yeah, why wouldn't I want to do that? <laughs> yeah. Why not? <laughs> so after that, I got home about three days later, got a voicemail from Mick Dawson. I missed the phone call. And he was like, yeah, Bruce, you still want to row the Atlantic? And I, I, I naively thought that it'd be the same as the the Yukon you know like everything would be sorted just be an expedition on a plate again like mm. a dream come true but it wasn't because he's a busy guy and then we didn't really t- he, he, so he, he supported us a little bit gave us some contacts and whatnot. but yeah it was mainly down to me and Nutty so me and Nutty were just two so the first person I approached was Nutty I was like Nutty how do you feel like rowing an ocean I was like yeah yeah 100% no doubt I mean yeah yeah and then from there we were just two guys living in, living in the flats at work with an idea, mate. Shit. So it got, we, we cut corners everywhere we could and we did it as cheaply as we possibly could. Because the average, the average fucking price of someone that rows the ocean runs into 100k plus. Really? Yeah. And we just didn't yeah. have that fucking money to spare, mate. Uh, in the end, is, our is cost that, was about like, 34k. Like boat costs or what? Like where would 100k plus... Yeah, so they, they, everyone enters. You, I don't know if you know. I was probably trying to explain this a bit for the pod. There's something called the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge, right? 
which runs from Lagomera to Antigua. Hmm. The entry the entry fee to that race alone, which comes with nothing, is twenty four thousand pounds, and that, that's just that's just your ticket to enter the event. And then if you want to be competitive, you buy a boat which costs about forty thousand pounds, which you can sell again afterwards. And then um, yeah, the, the fucking prices soon start um, adding up because you got your food on top of that. You get all your 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 kit shipping. that you're wearing, the shipping, for example. Yeah, hmm. there's a lot of moving parts in it to yeah. get the boat to the start line. Yeah, I wouldn't really even think about it. To be fair, and then so so I guess how? Well, two questions again. How did you fund that? Firstly, and then what was the process from figuring out it was going to cost a load to do it to actually? getting to the starting line I suppose two rope are kind of different questions but what was the general process from like fuck we're doing this to so the, the first actually thing, leaving the first thing we approached once we had the the crew nailed down which wasn't actually the crew that we rode with so we was helping out two two Royal Marines veterans to row the ocean we first approached the Royal Marines charity who gave us £10,000 which was which was amazing we were mm. just two ideas we were just two dudes sitting in the grot with an idea and they gave us 10k fortunately we gave them 20k back at the end which was nice I, I, I genuinely didn't think that was going to happen so when we got to the start line yeah. we, we'd only just covered the expedition costs mm. but um, we made the so then we were two dudes sitting in the grot with an idea and 10k and we're like shit what can we do what can we do right now so the rations we used um, arctic rations which are dehydrated rations which for whoever is listening, these are essentially pot noodles in a bag. So you just add water to them and then you have like a spag bowl or a fucking curry or whatever, mashed potato. Black like smash sauce. or something. Yeah. Noodles and black bean sauce. That's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> I, I, yeah, that was, so we, we fucked up there, but we didn't. It was an accident. So we went, so first we did went down to stores. I mean, like, how long do you reckon this is fucking event's going to take? And I was like... I don't fucking know. So I'm like, shit, let's get 90 days per man. <laughs> <laughs> then it, so, turned, it turned up and it was a, it was a, I think it was two pallets worth of, of rations in boxes. Those boxes. Stacked boxes. about, probably yeah. about six and a half feet high. Right. And we were like, the, the, uh, the colour sergeant was just like, you know, you've, you've, <laughs> you've got a load of rations here. What do you want to do with them? And we were like, ah, right, cool. <laughs> so yeah. we squirreled them away somewhere. Jeez. And so, then, yeah, I should get gone. So, so yeah, we we did what we could do immediately, which was everything we can get for free from work, it, which included fucking RYA courses up to the level of Ocean Master, which was a fucking grizz. Because it, I don't know about Marines, they're not that intellectually um, minded. So yeah, we're, we're doing our Ocean Masters, and then um, yeah, go back to the fundraising. We we shit, we had about nine months to raise another twenty k. And it was fucking heartbreaking, mate. We spent about three months of those nine months. We were always doing a lot. But the first three months, we were doing a lot and not producing anything, mate. Mm. Like, mm. we were doing the wrong stuff, but we started to learn some lessons after that. And fuck, it started to come in little and often. Like, a lot of the shit, we'd just meet someone in a pub and they'd be like, yeah, I've got a mate that can help you out. Yeah. Then we'd go to some fucking dude's business potentially getting like 5k off him or something like that so I can't do anything mm. but I've got someone else that can help you out and after about a month of that you, you, you're chasing down I don't know loads of different leads mm-hmm. 
all of them you have to pursue with a hundred percent enthusiasm because you don't know if they're going to be the one. Yeah. And it's yeah, it's a fucking heartbreaking. It's a good process though. It's a great process to go through. But you, I, I learned a lot like going through that, and even the way you talk, you know, talk to people, how you approach people, mm. and asking them for for something. But you've got to, you know, the whole process behind it is is really interesting. The way the way you got to do it. But yeah, I'm trying to. Like we was getting invited. To, so we, we remember Salkin Brewery. Yes, I do. Yeah, we got invited there, and it was like a full-on fucking. This was like probably the most actual professionally appearing meeting we attended. It was like some fucking boardroom or something. If you imagine the Apprentice, it was like <laughs> a long old table, and me and Nutty were sitting on one side trying to present our pitch to the guy on the other side, which we did actually prepare a little bit for that one. And there was some little bitch just in the corner, like, "Oh, do you want a drink?" And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I take a pint of the Solcum Gold? Which is <laughs> <laughs> one of the ales. Which is really nice. <laughs> and then the guy at the table was like, what the fuck? <laughs> He's on about water, you cunts. <laughs> did you get that? Did you get the phone? No, yeah, we did, yeah. And then it turned out the guy across the table used to be in the military. So we spent loads of time just chewing the fat with him, mate. Yeah. It wasn't quite the formal fucking presentation. <laughs> it's not what he was expecting, yeah. I don't think. But as yeah, soon as we yeah. sort of like... Broke that goes down, down how to sort of like break the ice with someone, mm. I guess. Isn't, and as soon as you could level with him, he was just like, do you know what? You actually... This is actually quite interesting. Yeah. And he actually sent us a few emails to help us along with how we present... Uh, get a presentation together yeah. and how we would come across if we were ever to do something like that again but it went quite far you know it went to the top with this guy um, uh, who the owner of the because this bloke owns multiple businesses and mm. it went to the top the CEO and um, he just couldn't do it this time um, but it, 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 it went that far he, but he did, he did help us out with a lot of other oh, yeah, contacts and that yeah. which did lead on to other things yeah but um, I think what what really, really started to help, well, the first sort of like real thing that happened was when we did a um, an event at the local pub to where the barracks is. Mm. So um, that's that's what that's, that was the turning point for raising like quite a bit of money. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we did a, a great event at Whitethorn in um, in the Shore Prior. Is uh, bloke the bloke who owns it is um, a guy called. Mike from Mad Dog McRae and so he's a local he's quite an international known singer actually he does Irish folk music oh, he's yeah. absolutely brilliant mm-hmm. and uh, yeah he was mega on side with us and he just uh, he was like that. yeah do you know what you know you can use the whole of the outside area for your event and it was it was nice to have someone so on side mm. um, yeah and then Brucey went and got uh, three kegs from Dartmoor Brewery for, for free a JLL and uh, yeah we sold all of them well, to, to <laughs> it went down pretty fast. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Like this, this is what, this is really funny actually. This is when we we're still cuffing it. So we had this event, and one of our mates is um he hunts deer, right? <laughs> so his mates were a lot of farmers around Dartmoor, and that. and we we had back on camp. There's freezers worth of venison. If you go to the outliers, sour, <laughs> the sours for the people that live off camp. <laughs> there's like three fucking deer carcasses hung up in there, mate. So we're selling venison. The local How much do you reckon these cost? I don't know, five pounds each. <laughs> we're selling fucking <laughs> venison steaks. <laughs> That's one way to do. We went down to Booker's as well, didn't we, and got a load of um, loaded like deluxe burgers and things like that and then 
there was a barbecue outside and we, we got a couple of lads from 4-2. A lot of lads were away at the time, but there was a few sort of like hanging around in the accommodation. Um, we didn't know them. Uh, we didn't know them from Adam, but we were like, you know, come up and if you can cook for us all evening, you can, you can have as many pints as you want. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that, that worked out really well. They were, they were really handy, actually, just for cooking all evening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And just selling, selling the burgers and, and all that. And then we did a good raffle as well. We had some, some, some good good raffle prizes yeah that that was a really really good event and it was by, fun by that everyone. point we were on about 15k and we, we I, I reckon we, what did we make about 2800 quid that night yeah it was yeah but it wasn't it wasn't that that was the time that, at that moment I learned the lesson that publicity is just as important as um mm. as fundraising right because it leads to more fundraising so I don't know after that it was, it was a t- real real turning point for our our campaign yeah and then, so when was this relative to when you actually set off then? Just to give context. September. We set off in December. Of 2019, right? We set off in 2020 and finished in 21. Yeah. Oh, shit. Was it yeah, last year? All right. Yeah. yeah, geez. Yeah. Yeah, I left on the 5th of December. So was it, it was nine months total of fundraising then or different months? No, nah, so we got, we got fucked around a lot. So we was originally going to row across the Pacific... Well, halfway across the Pacific from San Fran to, um, to fuck it, Hawaii. Because we know, we know one of the guys that ran the event and we we're going to get free entry into the Great Pacific Race, which is similar to the Twack, but a lot more smaller scale. And then we couldn't get to America because of COVID. So we spent about a month fucking, I don't, I don't know, like consoling ourselves, thinking, oh, this is mm. shit. What are we going to do now? A bit deflating, wasn't it? And I was like, shit, we'll just row the Atlantic. And it was like, oh yeah, it costs 24k to enter that rest. I'm like, fuck that. So we just turned up in Gran Canaria and then rode to Barbados, like independently, if you know mm. what I mean. Which, which leads on to another thing. Now we start an event this year called Mission Atlantic. Mm. Wait, so fuck. Coming back, coming back to the row then. So you, you didn't end up actually paying the 24k to do this event that you didn't originally no, plan to enter no our whole event cost about 32k in total and it was completely like made up effectively it wasn't it was your own row rather than entering an event that yeah. you planned to enter previously so we did yeah. we did a lot of, we, we had the good help of a, well we found out a good dude called Chris Martin a lot of ocean rowers they love helping ocean rowers right because it's quite a small group of people yeah I can imagine so we had a lot of advice from a lot of really interesting people which then led on to um we ended up we hired a boat from Chris Martin mm. and he owns a company called New Ocean Wave and that's basically he just facilitates people's rows yeah um, he's, he's an ocean rowing consultant yeah he's an extremely niche fucking well he has a day job as well right yeah but, okay right so people listening are now yeah are going to want to hear about the actual row then itself because Leading up to it sounds like a fucking journey in itself, but so you, you got you got the boat. You know what you're doing. You, you've trained, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You've had this ocean rowing consultant help you get to that point. Where did, so you started in Grand Canaria? Yes, mate. Like, how does it? How does that even? You literally get in, literally get in the boat and start fucking rowing to Barbados, right? Which is what? It was about four and a half thousand miles. Is that right? Yeah, no, that's absolutely what we did. The day before, we were driving around a bit and went to a place called um, Mas Palomas, 
Which is a, it's like some weird gay holiday spot in Gran Canaria. <laughs> no, it actually is for gay people, right? Yeah. It's like a gay fucking resort there. So we went to the police. It's, it's the nearest biggest town to where we set off from. Yeah. So we went. We went there. We went to the police station, and we're like, we're queuing up for about an hour, thinking we want to sign our passports out, you know, because the the dock we were in, they didn't. So if we went up to Las Palmas, the capital, if we left from there, then you can stamp your passport out. And we went there, mm. got absolutely mugged off to the high port, and we're like, well, yeah, fuck that. So we just, yeah, we did. We actually did just get in our port and start rowing towards <laughs> Barbados. We, we, we never officially left the EU, mate. No, we didn't, did we? <laughs> Wasn't too much of an issue the other side, but uh, we had a we had to fly out to Gran Canaria in November because um, we went into another lockdown then, and mm. um, we were <laughs> we were with the Conservative MP for where was it? Uh, Hedge e- End and Eastley, mate. Yeah, Eastley. So because um, like he he came to um, he came to see us actually because um, we've got really good friends with Janet who owns a pub in Hamble which is where we kept the boat in near Southampton hmm. and she's quite a well connected woman and we did an another we did another event there it was a high ticket um, event you know sit down meal uh, shirt and tie that sort of thing so and that that went really well uh, a good raffle at the end but she's got a, fi- a lot of fingers and a lot of pies and she knows the MP for the area and she said, you know, come, come, come down and speak to these guys because we're all there, all four of us, myself, Brucey, Will, who's the other rower, and Junior, um, the two veterans, Will and Junior. And uh, yeah, he came down and, and spoke to us and, you know, like really got on well with us. And then he did a shout out in Parliament for us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty lit. Um, to, to, and, and yeah, it's, I don't know where I was going with it, to be quite honest with you. So we were back, to the, we were back in the um, Conservative Club in Hedge, Hedge End. That's night. right, yeah. This is days before the impending lockdown in November, the second lockdown. And um, he was like... So he was, we were on the fucking loudspeaker phone with Matt Hancock at the time, <laughs> yeah. which was the Secretary <laughs> yeah. of Health or some shit. Yeah. I don't remember exactly what How'd that come about? Because we were, we were chatting with um, Paul about... How it, like what's going to happen? Is it going to impact our our role? We were just on the piss. It was no serious conversation, right? And it was like, hold on a second, just let me check. So we got on the, it's just like, yep. And then and then Matt Hancock was like, guys, what the fuck? You need to get out of here pronto. <laughs> so we we flew out the next day with like twelve hours notice, and lockdown did come into enforce like forty eight hours later. So we all flew out to Gran Canaria, and um, one of our mates towed the boat up to Freight International in Newark and sent it to Gran Canaria. So we, we had two or three weeks in Gran Canaria with no boat, mm. just on the piss. Yeah. <laughs> until, until the boat was like, there's nothing we could do to prepare. Yeah. So you're just on the piss so we, before we, you we, rode we, the Atlantic. We prepared the space in yeah. the marina, like we booked the space in the marina, and that's literally all we could do before the boat came off the fucking um, shipping container, mate. Jesus Christ, that is mad. So how big are these boats then? For uh, 21 feet. Watching. Seven metres. Mm. So 21 feet long, how wide? Uh, probably one point two meters, six foot maybe, six foot wide. That is widest part. So kind of like maybe. No, not even mate, because you, you'd you'd lie on the boat and you, I was, I'd say I about, think it was one point two. About the size of like, remember the technical. About something. the size like a people carrier car, maybe a bit bigger. Like yeah, around roughly, that, right? yeah. roughly. And there's four, four of you. And in terms of like sleeping slash sit, like describe the space. It's tight, mate. Really, really tight. So is it like two, a cabin at either end or like... Yeah. What's it like? Yeah, there's a cabin at, at the front 
and there's a cabin at the rear. The cabin at the front is follows the line of the boat like that, mm. and it's extremely sort of like you, you're sort of like sat in there like that, and it's extremely tight. Your shoulders are sort of rolled up. So for people that are listening and not watching, not his demonstration, it, it's like a, there's a little tube that goes underneath. It goes through the hull of the boat. And the people that are rowing, the sliders go on top, so you're sleeping that down the bottom of the boat. So it's like a little coffin in the bow cabin. Mm. The stern cabin is a lot more spacious, and we used to move house every five days on the row with swap ends. Yeah, that's... Uh... So you're in, like, pairs swapping ends, or what? So, yeah, we, we, rode, we rode three hours on, three hours off. Two people rowing and two people resting. So we were rowing 12 hours of the day. And is this two oars each, so like like sculling, or is this like rowing? Is sculling. it like one each? Yeah, sculling. Yeah, one in each hand, mate. Yeah. And in terms of your ass, you're, you're sat. So is it obviously? Yeah, obviously you start facing the same way, but it's not like rowing when we used to do with, with sliders. Does that have sliders? Or yeah, it does have sliders. It's it's just the same as sculling, but you you're lucky to reach full slide because the boat's like <laughs> the boat's waving yeah. around all over the place. You're not doing a half slide fucking routine. Yeah. <laughs> Get your catches in on time and shit. Yeah, fuck. And then, how long did it take in total? Before we four to nine days and, and nineteen hours and forty-five minutes or That's something. Right, yeah. Not that was counting. Jeez. And, and, and do you think? <laughs> yeah. Right. Was that harder than the Yukon race? No, no, no. The Yukon was way. The Yukon's different because it only it took less than three days, and it was it was intense. You know, it was non-stop paddling. The row's different. It's, it's, it's mentally challenging because you're just stuck in that boat for seven weeks just rowing across the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. And the conditions are a lot worse on the Atlantic and you don't know if you don't know what's going to happen the next few days. The Yukon's just challenging. It's just down to you if you want to paddle or stop, you know? Mm. It's, it, that's the hard thing about it. In the ocean row, you never think about stopping because you're still in the middle of the fucking ocean. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really come across your mind something like that. You've got to keep going. There's, there's no... Yeah, you've, you've you've just got to keep rowing. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like Groundhog Day, sort of like get up, row, do a bit of cooking just before you go to sleep, hand out everyone's food, then go to sleep, and then get up and do the same again. Do you sleep? Do you sleep well? Do you actually manage to sleep? There's some strange dreams on that boat, like very very strange, very lucid dreams. It's a bit weird. <laughs> Three hour slots as well. And how long did you spend? in that boat as a crew together prior to actually setting off for 49 days um, in total as a crew well five hours maximum five so, hours. so, so <laughs> me, me, me and Nutty and Will we were, we were lucky enough to all have the time off so man and Nutty's summer leave and Will was free as well we delivered someone's rowing boat to them in Copenhagen so we rowed across the North Sea to, and then through the Ida Canal and through the Baltic Sea to Copenhagen which was just like a summer holiday. But me and Will and Nutty had been in the boat together. All the training we'd done with Junior, who, who turned out to be one of the strongest rowers on the boat. We did all that. We did a few couple of hours training on flat water within the breakwater of Plymouth Harbour, and mm. that was it. Fucking hell. So, I mean, there's so many things I'm sure people, people would love to know, and I'm going to ask. Um, like, were you were you scared setting off? Like, had you was it nerve wracking, or was it literally just like fuck it, we're going to row the Atlantic? And when the moment we set off, 
I had it for me and Nutty were just laughing hysterically at each other like we couldn't believe yeah, it we were just like we're here we've done, you know we've, we've, we're actually setting off all these times we spent in the accommodation block tapping away on the computer all those sleepless nights thinking is it going to happen it's, we were there and it was just such a euphoric feeling and mm. yeah so yeah sorry to interject but yeah it was a great great feeling it was yeah. short lived one, one, of the, one, of, one of the biggest storms we hit on the whole row was still within sight of the Canary Islands, man. Tell him about the fishermen, mate. Yeah, mate. So, oh, so we was we was leaving. We had so we had we were we were talking with um, many experienced ocean rowers, um, two world-renowned weather routers. One of which was doing us a favour, weather routing for us for the whole crossing. And everyone was like, "Yeah, you've got like a thirty-six-hour window." I mean, I'm like, "Shit, yeah, we'll set off at eight o'clock tomorrow." And we, everyone else was not just me, it's only because me and everyone was like, yeah, we'll set off at eight o'clock tomorrow. And then um, I was walking down the jetty to do some final checks on the boat before we actually set off. And there was a fisherman walking down the, like some fucking 70 year old fisherman coming off his boat. <laughs> and he was like, so when are you setting off? And I was like, yeah, tomorrow. And I was like, oh, I wouldn't do that. And I thought, what the fuck, what the fuck do you know you can? <laughs> and then shit. Yeah, he was right. Right into a storm. Right into a storm. Yeah. All the projections we were looking at, everything, mate. It was, it was perfect time to sit off. Then I, I, yeah. I don't know how the fuck he knew that it wasn't, mate. <laughs> Wait, he just knew. He just knew, mate. So yeah, was, we, we we almost got washed up onto the coast of El Hierro, which is one of the Canary Islands. Like we were we were rowing hard to get past it, and there was like waves smashing over the boat and. The wind was insane, wasn't it? At, at that point, at that point, we were doing two on two off, so we were rowing two hours, sleeping two hours. We were messing around so long on the changeovers. At that point, we all made the decision to change to three on three off, just because the changeovers were taking too long and all the fucking water was coming into the cabins and it was yeah. all going to fucking shit. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, this is a fucking disaster. So let's cut it's down on the changeovers. Well. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. So, so how how big, like? How big were the waves in, in a storm like that? I mean, we'll probably be come on to some other storms, but they they weren't that, that big because they were they were big, but they were they weren't that big, but they were rough. Mm. So when you're out in the middle of the, the ocean, you have like um, big lines of swell, and it gets pretty fucking big. But mo- if it's not too windy, it's pretty sound. You know, the boat just goes up and down over them. But when the when the waves are all coming around the island, the frequency of the waves and the and the um, like the choppiness of the waves really increases. Yeah. So it was really choppy, fucking horrible, horrible water to row in. And in fact, it, it sounds horrible. It, it was it was shit at the time, but it was a blessing because in those first few days, we, the boat proved itself to us, and we proved ourselves to each other, and it gave us a real sense of comfort that we knew when we were land, you know, when land was thousands of miles away on either side, we could deal with it because we dealt with it when land was still in sight. Mm. Yeah. Fuck. That must be a weird feeling. I think I think you mentioned to me before. You were like, I don't know if it was a few hours or a few days in that you thought like, I, th- I think you could still see land. When were you telling me this? And you were like, fuck, should we just row back? When was oh, that? Yeah, nah, every, everyone, that right? everyone, everyone, everyone fought it. And it's only it's only when we got out of like a few days into the ocean, everything calmed down a bit. That we started telling each other. So we set up on Grand Canaria, right? And there's, there's several other islands a bit further west where we were heading. And we were that close to them. Like, you could see cars driving around the fucking mountains on yeah. there. <laughs> and I was thinking all the time, everyone was thinking it. 
it's like shit we could just pull in here reset for a few days we're, <laughs> we're still riding from the Canaries to the Caribbean right it doesn't fucking matter if we pull in here but and yeah no no one no that. one said it because you know, I don't know we're all proud fucking men no? yeah, yeah. Like, this is fucking nothing we're going to row the ocean right <laughs> yeah Fuck. yeah we got a few days out when I was on shift with Nassie and I was like Nassie it might sound a bit funny but I would have pulled in those <laughs> and I was like yeah <laughs> I was just looking I said to him I said, could see all these like twinkling lights in the distance and I was like ah, God, I, bet it's, I bet it's nice in there I bet there's a bottle of wine in there I could yeah. sink right now like <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah, geez. So, like, did you, obviously, on that kind of general topic, how hard, like, when was the hardest point, like, mentally? Obviously, I, I imagine, well, I suppose, how, how hard was it physically? But I imagine it was a lot harder mentally. Is that right? Physically, it was it was challenging. Just because the body starts to break down after a while. You, you, there's no way between four of us we could have packed enough food on the boat to maintain a, um, a what would you fucking call it, a, a, a calorific equilibrium. Like, we were in a huge calorific deficit, <laughs> like, by the, to the tune of thousands per day. Mm. So, say, like, I don't know, like, ten days in, uh, before the row, we got pretty fucking fat on purpose. So, like, fat, fit, right? Like, robust. Like, ten days in... I had like some weird fucking pregnancy belly like oh my skin was really floppy and I had no <laughs> it was goffing it was fucking disgusting I was thinking oh shit I better get rid of this all the time by the time I get to Barbados I'm never going to be able to trap when I get over there <laughs> and then, um... number one priority yeah so did did you lose weight really like notice no but it's not, it's, not, it's not just like any 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 I don't know what you call it, wounds, wounds, anything, anything bad that happens to you just doesn't fucking heal up, mate. Like shit, Will, Will, Will had a really, so did, when you, so when you, the arse is the biggest problem on the row. Mm. And imagine. every time you come off shift, you have to wipe down every, everything that has friction on it with a baby wipe, right, to get all the salt out. Because when, when it gets wet with salt water, get, waves are smashing over the boat sometimes. Mm. Then when you get in the cabin and you start to dry out a bit, you have to wipe all the salt off otherwise it crystallises and then when you go back out and it has friction again it just tears the skin apart mm. and whether it started off with bad drills or whether it started off just because he was disposed that way like Will's ass, it, it was fucked mate it looked like he just sat on a fucking landmine like, like it was deep bad. craters in it like you could fit a, an earbud into the, these craters that he had on his on his backside on his cheeks and they were raw like Red Jesus. raw. I was like, mate. You want red raw? It was, it was like a fucking open wound to the whole of his fucking ass, mate. Yeah. It was like bleeding, like disgustingly raw, mate. Yeah. Junior, bless him, he was putting iodine in each one. Like, just to Jesus. try and stop any infection or anything like that. And then patching it up. Yeah. So what sort of stuff are you wearing then, like day to day? Or are you not wearing stuff? You're like naked? Yeah, throw naked nude. most of the time. Yeah. And did you have like bad weather suits or what? We had Fowley's foul weather kit, mate, which um, heat heat's the big problem on the mid Atlantic. Mm. Like, it, like it's hot or not hot? No, no, too, too, too hot, too mate. Hot. Like really? disgustingly hot. Yeah, that's, yeah. Surprising. that's surprising. At that time of year, especially it, when you get close boiling. to the Caribbean. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. So how did he keep rowing if his ass was like tearing open? Just through. Grizz 
for the last few weeks like he'd get on the horse for the first few minutes he was just screaming in agony mate because I, I used to me and Will used to live in the same cabin and I'd swap with Will and fuck it was it was hard to listen to mate like it was really really hard to listen to Jesus did you get anything like that or was it just him uh, I the general state of my house was never that bad but at one, at one point I, I was rowing and I don't know it felt like I was rowing on a pee right like the, you know like the princess and the pee like I can feel a fucking pee underneath my ass <laughs> and I know, it, I, don't know I, think, I think this was like fucking midnight and we, we had the nav light on yeah. I was like no you have a look at my ass and he was like yeah yeah sound and he was like no it looks sound it looks fine but over the course of 36 hours it grew to the size and shape and colour of a plum growing in my ass and then um, I had to do some weird surgery on it so in our off period no it was in the rear cabin at the time so I came into the rear cabin and I was lying in like some weird fucking missionary position with my legs on the ceiling <laughs> and, and thank god the sea was pretty calm at the time yeah, and yeah. then he got his um, he was actually quite professional like sanitised his hands with alcohol got some gloves on yeah. and got a scalpel out <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and he had to cut this fucking thing out but it wasn't what easy was to it? cut out it was, I, I don't know but it I was, was like, probably um, a cyst mate I'd say when, so when I put the first incision into this just to go with cyst or whatever it was there's just sort of brown, oozy, pussy thing come out immediately. And that, it was quite a, it was a release, wasn't it? Like, it was like, fuck for that. But then the most painful part for him was actually trying to squeeze the rest of the gunk out. Because most, most of the gunk inside, it was, it was of a, um, like a plasticine consistency. Yeah. Like, it didn't, it didn't just squeeze out, you know? So we really had to fucking squeeze the cunt, mate. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it was really painful, like... Fucking hell. So I just do it very, like, ten, tentatively, like, a bit of cut at a time. Because you don't want to go too deep, too mm. deeply, because I'm, I'm not a surgeon by any means. So, you know, you've got to be careful, because you don't want to fucking go in too far. And then... I think, I think without trying to sound too um, dramatic, I was just screaming at Nutty. I was like, Nutty, you can't. Just fucking cut it. Just get it fucking out there. And let us squeeze it. And I'm like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> screaming in fucking pain, mate. Jeez. While this fucking plasticine squeezed through a tiny little hole. Oh, mate. Fuck me. And, Jesus, yeah. Most people start watching this. I've got a photo of it, actually, mate. If you want to see the lump after the podcast finishes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do, actually, to be fair. It's quite something to behold. And so, like, obviously, would you say there was a period where it just, you kind of, well, just just got used to it and it just became, like, the new normal? Or, or did that never happen? No, it happened, mate, for sure. So the first week and the last week, time slowed down. The first week, you're getting used to it, the routine, and you're getting used to the how it was living on the, those mm. tight confines on the boat. And the last week, you knew you were almost there and time slowed down again. And it was about the last four days, I think we got caught in some weird fucking back eddy. Yeah. So the ocean's got big currents in it, right? And sometimes the currents, say the prevailing currents going one way, for some weird reason, there's like an eddy off the side of it. I mean, Nutty went from doing 10 miles in three hours to doing three miles in three hours. Oh, mate. Like between the three hours when the other two were rowing. Mm. And fuck me, it was honking, mate. Like I was calling, I actually rang Chris on the sat phone. We never used, we never called anyone on the sat phone. We just texted them off it because texts were free, mm. and we had like ninety minutes on there just in case of emergencies. We could call someone, 
And I was like, Chris, what the fuck's going on? I was like, nah, everything's sound. Mm. There's no, so on his weather projections, there was no reason that we should have been slowing down. And it was, I don't know, maybe you guys are getting fatigued. Or I don't know what's happening. Like, and I was like, fuck. Nah, mate, I don't feel that different three hours later than I felt nah. before. Like, I'm not going from 10, I'm not, I'm not going down in fucking to a third of my original performance over three hours. Like, mm. And it was heartbreaking, mate. It felt like we were rowing through fucking toffee. Yeah. Jesus. And did you have, like, what sort of, like, technology did you have on board? So we had... Like, um, trackers and shit. So we had the Garmin. So you could, it was, it was a chart. It was mm. a little, tiny little screen. I remember, um, sort of like, maybe about a quarter way of the cross, I sort of was like, I pressed the zoom out button, and I pressed it again. I pressed it again and I pressed it and I was like fucking hell it's got a long way to go like <laughs> until, until, until I could see Barbados and we were just like just over there like you know? <laughs> yeah but uh, we had a speaker system on board as well that was good but the problem with that is I didn't realise that Spotify signs you out after two weeks if you're not connected <laughs> to the internet Fuck so sake. we had all these podcasts and all this music and then um, <laughs> yeah and then after two weeks there was no music but that was alright because just Still chatted. Like, yeah, it was really, great, great, no, actually. It worked no, out it's quite really, nicely. It's a really interesting thing, actually. Which you, I almost wouldn't have dared to have rolled for fucking 12 hours a day without listening to anything, right? Yeah. Now, mm. you'd always turn something on before you rode. But then when we were rowing in silence, I actually realised that the way your mind thinks, say you're listening to a podcast or a song, you know how fast someone talks or you know how fast fucking a song, how long a song yeah. is. Right? Mm. So three hours felt like three hours. But sometimes when we were running in silence, three hours felt like 30 minutes, mate. Yeah. Like, time, like, like you, the perception of time and yeah. space and everything just got really fucked, mate, when you're just in the middle of the fucking ocean for days. Yeah, that was, that was I'd, strange, I'd, 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 that I'd probably was, always, I'd probably always recommend anyone to row in silence from here on forward, mate. So I was <laughs> just some funny conversations as well. But um, So yeah. everything after two weeks was in silence other than speaking? Mm. Nah, nah. Um, apart from Will, Will had one book actually. Oh yeah, it was I can't remember what the book. fuck was that. Um, it was like the art of seduction. I yeah, it was a, <laughs> so it had weird or fucking book. Like that. Yeah, it was like some weird fucking. Um, do you remember the game by Neil Strauss? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was something, like, it was something like that, mate. We were just listening to that once. Right in the middle right. of the ocean. That's quite Jesus funny. Christ! In fact, in, it is quite an interesting one. So we were listening to a podcast. And it was about, you know, space. And um, we were rowing during the night. And then all of a sudden we had a meteor shower. And it was, it was incredible. Like, I've never seen anything like that before. And one meteor came down quite, you know, quite, quite, quite close, I'd say. And it mm. lit up like a couple of grid squares of, of the water. And it was that, it was like a bright greenish colour, wasn't it? It was, it, that was incredible, that. That was one of the most famous Joe Rogan podcasts, mate. Yeah. I can't remember what the fucking oh, dude's to, called. He used to be in, but he in Blur. He used to be in Blur. He prophesied the end of the world. Oh, mate. is he... Um, what's he called? does lots of TV shows. Yeah, he looks a bit like a paedophile. <laughs> <laughs> is it him, Brian Cox? <laughs> Brian Cox, yeah. That's it, <laughs> no, Brian Cox. No, I just want the Brian Cox one, mate. It was some dude that prophesied... So he believed oh, there were civilizations before... Oh, was oh, it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I know his name. What's he called? He's got a really, like, soothing voice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. oh, what's he yeah. called? Um, oh, yeah, I don't know what he's called. I know I know the bloke. He's got glasses. Is it him? 
Is it, is it the one that talks about like ancient civilizations? Yes, yeah, yeah. He's on about he had his mate on the podcast as well. There's and like the huge days. glacier flows coming down from Alaska or something, yeah. and there's like there's a huge fucking end of civilization prophecy or something. <laughs> What's he called? Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Yeah, fuck it. It's like he's gonna make such shit deep. listening. Everyone's gonna be like, "What the <laughs> fuck are you cunts on?" Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. What's he called? Right, yeah. So we found the name of the. The podcast Don, it's Graham Hancock. Fucking very soothing voice. Don talks about the mad like ancient civilizations and shit. So. He loves hallucinogenics and um pre-civilization theories. <laughs> <laughs> Elaborate. Yeah, fuck no, he's an interesting Don. So yeah, we were already fucking talking about this before we paused, but he was we were listening to this podcast anyway. And then, yeah, it was a really clear night and some weird fucking meteor shower started happening. And I started getting creeped the fuck out. And I was, I was, I was like, we're listening to this shit. And I was like, nutty. No, can we, can we, um, do you mind if we turn this shit off? Like, and then I was like, yeah, thank God. I didn't want to say it. Like, so, yeah, we turned that off. Because you feel a bit um, isolated out there, you know? Yeah, fuck. So, so you're so open to the elements and so close to the water that you you see all sorts of things in in the water. You know, there was one time we were getting closer to Barbados, and still not sure what it is, but there were just like lights coming up from the water. I don't know how deep they were, but they were like electric blue lights, and they go on, go on, and then they go off again, and then it would be over there, and then there'd be a few more over there, and a few more over there, and they're all around us. So to, put, to give a little bit of context to this, we'd already rode through like some pretty serious patches of bioluminescence, which was amazing. Mm. And then, but at this point, some of them were like me, hundreds of me. I don't know. I, I can't obviously tell how deep they were. Oh, yeah. It was like someone flicked on a really bright blue light, like just on and off straight away, like flicked it on and off. And we were just rowing through this weird stuff. And I think that his missus kind of explained it to us, but I've forgotten it now. Yeah, it was. Um, it's, it's a specific. Uh, fish I think it is I'd have to write a blue sapphire maybe blue sapphire fish quite rare um, if, it, if, if, it, if it is even that uh, I described it to her and that was the best answer she could give me what's a fish that like produce some some electric mad blue light, light. That, like, as in a flash like putting on a torch and then yeah. switching it off some of them were at surface level and some of them were like really far down like yeah. illuminated a whole load of sea for a brief matter of time yeah Fucking hell. So, you mentioned to me before something to do with, I think you said you saw, there was a blue, was it a blue whale that was following the boat? No, mate, it wasn't, like, it wasn't a blue, was it blue whale. whale. It was, it was a, Or both? We, saw two, we both. only saw two sharks in the whole crossing. Yeah. Which was hours after leaving Gran Canaria, we had two sharks circling the boat, which is... <laughs> that was it, yeah. I a bit ominous, that. mate. Mm-hmm. Then the storm hit, so yeah, it was an ominous thing before the storm. But we had an adolescent male fin whale following us for three days. Hmm. How big are they? About twice the length of the boat, so like 14 metres, I'd guess. Yeah. You could literally see it beside the boat, or what? No, no, no. The, the, our, when our oars were going in, the side of the whale was surfacing, because it never surfaced for long. It just surfaced, blow, and then sink again. Hmm. But they were like inches away from where... It was really... The whale was really fucking aware of its own fucking size and shape and where it was coming up mm. but I didn't like the whale either but everyone else did I thought it was amazing you I was could, scared of the whale you could hear it so <laughs> you, you only, came, you only came close at night 
And then we were right, we were we were on the shift, weren't we, when he first turned up? And in the distance, we just heard the noise of the whale. No, what did the, what did the whale sound like? <laughs> <laughs> and he's fucking come up like that, and then he just got closer and closer and closer until we could smell his breath. <laughs> so we, we all said to each Sorry, other, we all said to each other when we were fishy. right. If there's anything worth seeing, just don't matter how fucking tired I am, I want to fucking see it. Mm. So we kept hearing this fucking whale coming up, and then and then it was, by this time we were pretty sure it was a whale because it was pretty next to us and there was a bit of a splash. And I was like, "Bang bang, Junior, come up! There's a whale!" And he's like, "Fuck off!" <laughs> <laughs> and and then when it happened, the whale was pretty much next to us by that point. And I'm like, "Yeah, that's definitely a whale." <laughs> and then by the, when it was like twilight in the morning and what was it twilight in the evening and fucking sunrise in the morning, the whale would still be near us. Then in the day we'd spot it like fucking hundreds of meters away from the boat, but every night it'd come next, it'd just swim next to us all the time for about three days, mate. It was really calm that time as well. Like the the water, there was no storms or anything like that. It was just incredibly, incredibly calm. Like, very, very strange sensation. It's like rowing for a mill pond. That's another yeah. thing that fucking creeps me out. That was strange. That because when it, when it's rough. You, you, all you're caring about is just fucking rowing and getting wet and it's just, you're just in the moment but when it's calm mm. like that and you're just rowing for three hours through fucking a mill pond a mill pond what's that like like it's as calm as a mill pond oh okay yeah like it's, it's like flat flat calm mate yeah it's weird like really really that's when you your mind just runs away with you like you actually realise you're in the middle of fucking you are thousands of you're miles you're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean mate yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, fuck. Did did it become like a meditative experience, especially after the Spotify account stopped working? Yeah, it was. It was a good time for introspective thoughts and and just just chewing the fat as well. Right, it was it was great for that. Hmm. I would have loved to have actually recorded our um, a podcast for forty nine days. Not not even a podcast, but I'd just love someone to record some of our weirdest conversations. Like we were talking some shit, mate. Like, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Conversation runs out after a week, and you got six more weeks. We're just talking shit. <laughs> like, absolutely, like they like, didn't even make sense, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. No, you tell them the story when that wave washed over us, mate. When we and you were on. Oh, what the the big one? The rough when we're in a rough patch, yeah. Yeah, I was going to get onto that. Yeah, yeah. So like? um, <laughs> it, it was it was fairly it was like there was a bit of waves, but there weren't that many. Um, but uh, we were rowing along, and this monstrous one came over, and I just saw like the white, and I was like, "Brucey, fucking hell!" and just went like that, and it was as if as if the boat had actually gone underneath the water. It was just. The wave come over the top like, of us. We were fully, we were fully. I'd say we were fully submerged. Like, obviously, after something like that time, you, I'd say we were underwater for like thirty seconds. But that's bullshit. We were probably underwater for like five to ten seconds. I'd say, mm. like actually swimming, you know, like actually completely submerged. Then, then our heads started to come out with the white froth at the top. And those boats were extremely robust and extremely seaworthy. And we were surfing sideways down this fucking weird fucking wave for another good amount of time. Are you, are you, tight, are you like tied, tied Yeah, clipped this? in. There's what are called jack stay. There's a piece of wire that's bolted into one part of the boat and the wire runs all the way the length of the boat where the rowers are and mm. you've got your uh, life jacket that you wear and you just clip on and you clip onto your life jacket. And, you're and all, you're you always, only have that when it's rough. 
Um, or like all the time. Yeah, yeah. To be yeah. fair, mate, you get when it's you, you know when you need it and when you don't need it. Like yeah, when it was like when, really when calm. we started out, we were always wearing life jackets at night, and then the day we had a climbing harness, it would just cut the leg loops off. We had like a waist strap, so we were always like strapped onto the boat, you know. But when it gets calm and we were like like fucking hell, lads were swimming a hundred meters away from the fucking boat. Yeah, you in the middle swimming. of the fucking ocean, mate. Yeah, yeah. Because every every so often you have to um. So you have to swim underneath. You, you know, like when you're de-icing your car. Yeah. With the scraping tool, we had one of those on board. So you, every so often you have to swim underneath, and there's something called gooseneck barnacles, which like to grow on the bottom of fucking ships. And so you have to go. You have to swim underneath, and you you put a snorkel on and a fucking goggles, and you scrape these cunts off, mate. And mm. then it gives it really you about affects an extra the hydrodynamic uh, way of the boat if there's too many barnacles on it and too many, too much. Sea snacks growing underneath it. <laughs> yeah, fuck. Yeah, to be fair, like I, I get pretty scared. I get scared going in the sea if it's like no, can't, I can't see yeah, the bottom. Yeah, so do I. But I, I don't know. I didn't then for some reason. When you're swimming underneath the boat and you look down, it's just like blue going to dark blue to black. It's, it's like it's, it should be a terrifying thing, but it wasn't, mate. It was just like oh, I'm just cleaning the fucking sea snacks off the bottom of the hull. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it's just like, it's incredibly deep. Right? Did you ever, did the Garmin or whatever it was tell you how deep it was? No. No. The charts did though. Mm. Like what, like tens of thousands of feet? I don't even know. You have to fucking, well, I guess anyone that cares about it that's listening can Google it themselves. How deep is the middle of the Atlantic? Three Ooh. miles, I think, at one point. At least a fucking, at least one mile, mate, yeah? Yeah. I think it's deepest is, is three miles deep. Fucking hell. At, at one point in the, so we saw, we saw three boats on our crossing two of them all three of them by chance obviously two of them were sailing boats and one of them was an oil tanker but our horizon when you're on the rowing boat because you're that close to the water the horizon's only about four miles away mm. but we saw one French racing yacht I only I only telling this story because we because the, the crossing's meant to be unsupported right but we didn't do it in a, a record breaking time so I don't give a fuck about telling this story so he was because this does count as support even though it's not really support so we were running across and it was it was quite rough seas well it was quite high seas it wasn't like choppy seas and the French fucking um, sailing boat they lassoed like a carrier bag full of fucking beers around his head and released it <laughs> and then Will I don't know how the fuck he did it he sort of it defied fucking gravity just, go go gadget arms like. it was like something out of a professional fucking baseball game mate. <laughs> this dude just fucking leant over and caught this shit <laughs> and so yeah we had a couple of beers in the middle of the Atlantic completely by chance a boat fucking caught up for us the other one was like a commercial sailing vessel where the, you know like your cruise people pay to do a certain leg of the journey and it was full of fucking really fit Americans I <laughs> yeah. couldn't believe it just scantily clad women just fucking going past us on this massive yacht we were like ah Jen. in the middle of the ocean yeah. like ah what fucking <laughs> Was that the best tasting beer beer you've ever had? No, it wasn't actually. It was warm San Miguel. No, it was man. horrible. I, I hate San Miguel at the best of oh, times. Fair <laughs> it wasn't very nice, was it? <laughs> I'm still drunk it, no? Mm. Fucking hell. So, did you end up fighting with each other then? Like 49 days, there must have been tension, or was there not? Yeah, there was like points that we were just like angry with each other, but it never lasted more than the shift. You get up for the next shift and you'd be sound. Yeah. 
I, I think I, I think a lot of that goes, even though we didn't know Will that well until the row. He's a really good guy, you know, but you kind of expect that because he used to be in the Marines. All the lads that are in the Marines are work, you're used to working in close confines with each other and doing weird stuff. And this 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 was more like a bit of a jolly than it was um, real hard work, if you know what I mean. Everyone was working for each other. No one really complained that much. Yeah. And sleeping three hours, was that like, do you find you actually get enough sleep? Obviously three hours on, three hours off. It's a bit of a weird routine. I think you get used to it quite quickly. Like, what, four or five days, I think, is, 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 is how long it normally takes someone to get used to a new, a totally new routine like that, without sleep. That sort of like that broken sleep that you get, and mm. when you do sleep, you sleep like except during the midday sun because it gets it gets hot in that cabin. Yeah, yeah. if we if oh, we were to do that again when it was calm in the midday heat, I'd definitely break that down to like one hour on, one hour off. But that's just hindsight looking back. If I was to ever do it again mm. at night, I definitely I probably put it up to four hours, mate. Yeah, just get a nice bit of head done, you know. Yeah. Jeez. And coming in the last week then, because I know one thing you mentioned before was that when you finally finished, you didn't want to get off. You didn't want to get out of the boat. Like, did it, like, why? Like, how, how was that? Because obviously most people would think you'd be so fucking desperate to finish. Yeah, so, um, I wasn't really sure how to answer that question when we talked about it earlier, but fuck I, a lot of it actually when we're on the boat like trying to remember it objectively I actually didn't want it to finish because you're just used to that routine living with the hombres it's just like four of you guys against the world you know and it's amazing amazing feeling I can't really describe that unless someone else knows what I'm talking about right mm. but then, then actually thinking about it through hindsight we had we had what I could only really describe as a hero's welcome into Barbados. Like everyone was looking after us. We had a pretty um, luxurious welcome into Barbados from people that we didn't know, who found out about what we were doing, and I didn't feel like I deserved that. So I went, I went from rowing like a semi-arduous routine across the Atlantic into a extremely luxurious life in Barbados. It was a really really difficult transition between the two. Mm. The only thing, the only thing that the four of us are certain about, we, we talked about this a lot when we were on Barbados, all we wanted to do was finish the ocean rowing boat and, and then not talk to any of our friends and family that came out to meet us. All four of us wanted to go to the most disgusting, dirtiest rum bar full of the most disgusting black strippers that we could find, <laughs> and black prostitutes, and just do some weird stuff and just actually decompress a little bit. Yeah. And then, um, but yeah, so the first few, like I said, the first fucking two weeks we got into Barbados, we were getting invited to all these um, fancy dinner parties. We were like the fucking guests, like someone could have us at their fucking do. I don't know, it's like a bit of a fucking status thing for them and for us, you know? Like, look, we've got yeah. the Marines that have just rode the ocean in our house, and I was like, fuck. So, I just wasn't ready for that at all. How like, long had you planned to stay in Barbados then? Initially, I've been there once, fucking, yeah, very overpriced, I would say. Overpriced, <laughs> but nice. We didn't um, pay for a single thing for the first few weeks we were there, mate. 
Yeah, geez, I can imagine. But like, how, how long did you, how did you plan a certain time? Or was we it literally like, we didn't, get we there didn't. and just see what happens? So, so we'd, we'd, we'd planned, we'd done all this fucking stuff getting the boat to the start line. We got on the boat, mate, and we just fucking, all we did was think we were going to get to Barbados. Because once we're there, you know, if we've done it, we can plan about that afterwards. I, yeah. didn't, I had no time for any more headache before we started the moment. <laughs> we just had, luckily, we we're, you know, being in the Marines, it's a nice thing. A lot of people, there's a big Royal Marines family, you know? Yeah. And some of the people found out what we were doing, and they have friends in Barbados who seriously, seriously looked after us. Mm. Which. I'm insane. I'm insanely. I'm insanely grateful for that. Mm. Insanely grateful for that. But I just wasn't ready to be hit in the face by a fucking, by that as soon as I got out of the boat. You know, mm. if we just had two days with the ombres, mate, two days with the lads, just fucking decompressing a little bit and actually talking about what we've yeah. done and being yeah. honest with each other, yeah, it would have been a lot nicer. And how long did you spend in Barbados in total then? Before. Five weeks. Five, five, five <laughs> great weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Five weeks. Was that a five week bender? Yeah. Uh, it was a five week bender, mate. Yeah. yeah. Um, Fuck it out. It was, yeah, that's all it was a five week bender, mate. I don't say there's so many funny stories I have about that, which. Um, Can you share any of them? You know, we're mid you're still serving in the Royal Marines and. Mm. Yeah, no, I don't think I can really share them. <laughs> 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 but needless to say, some fucking weird, weird stuff happened out there. Like, great, mate. Yeah. yeah, fuck. That That's probably like, that must be the, the biggest and weirdest contrast to go from, like, almost like a stoic, like, solitude in the ocean to just fucking sending it in Barbados. Yeah. The, the life we had in Barbados, I've, I've never lived like that ever in my life. So I went from experiencing something I'd never experienced before, you know, like seven weeks alone in a rowing boat with the hombres, to living like a, the life of a fucking emperor in Barbados. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we were living in, um, uh, what was it? Like a, a villa with its own pool in yeah, this, no, no, in no. this what's amazing, the, what's the, amazing... What's the, amazing so, um, so there's a, there's a dude there's a dude that used to be in the army commandos called um, Tony Trulin he's a fucking awesome guy yeah rose through the ranks who wrote he, he's got a business out in Barbados now looking after houses and we ended up living in what's it, the fucking Belgian manager's name it's like Roberto Fernandez or some shit Roberto Man- yeah, yeah I know who you Fernandez mean he was, was a football he used to be a manager, manager. of fucking was it Tottenham Roberto Martinez Roberto right. Martin. Anyway, anyone that's listening is going to know who I'm yeah. talking. about I think I have an image of a guy. Man. So we're living in his. We're living in his pad for a bit, and then some various other fucking people from around the UK who aren't famous, but they're um, pretty well to do. Mm. And then yeah, fuck, like shit, weird shit was happening. I didn't know what to do with myself, man. So when we, when we arrived in Barbados, I, so we got arrested by the coast guard at gunpoint, and I didn't Wait, think no the coast when, guard. when the boat came in. So we, we rode around the northern tip of Barbados, which are pretty treacherous waters. So you have to keep, you have to keep about a mile between, because you've got the full force of the Atlantic flooding onto the um, east coast of Barbados, right? And so we had to keep about a mile between us and the northern point of Barbados and go all the way around. And I was looking for a specific buoy in the sea, which wasn't, the, the light on it wasn't working because we came in at night. And all four of us were awake on ship looking out, like listening out for the breaking waves and trying to 
keep it as close to the tip so we didn't add any extra mileage on mm. and do it safely and we we did that pretty well so I was off shift then me and Nutty started to get our heads back down and then um, I don't know fucking some minutes later I heard the guy like bang 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 Brucey Brucey wake up wake up so I smashed the door open and so we, all, we were all naked on the boat and there was a fucking um, like speedboat full of which turned out to be a um, Bajan Coast Guard like the Barbados yeah. Coast Guard massive spotlight and I didn't I didn't but at the <laughs> time we, we were blinded by a spotlight <laughs> and these guys don't look like a Coast Guard mate they're like wearing half a fucking like military style like camouflage trousers and like their own fucking t-shirts mm. pointing like weird fucking G36s I think they were or something like that or MP5s I think so I thought yeah like some weird had. fucking assault rifles in our face and I was like shit like, the last thing I thought it were they were the Coast Guard mate <laughs> But, you know, you're pretty fatigued at the time. Mm. It turned out they were. But, and then one of them fucking remembered me. And I was like, what the fuck? Because I was working out in Barbados a few years ago. And, then, and Anyway, I didn't even fucking remember who this cunt was. And he was like, I know you. I know you. Like, shouting at me, still thinking we were some weird fucking crew. I'm like, no, you don't. You can't. Mm-hmm. You don't fucking know me. Like, I was getting angry at him as well. <laughs> and he was like, yes, I do. And then named this name of this camp and this fucking weird stuff that was going on. And I was like, shit, yeah, I was there. And I was like, yeah, you do know me, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're doing the disaster relief for the yeah. Caribbean islands, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did they think you were like pirates initially or what? Oh, no, so the, the whole thing was, because because we just rode around the northern tip of... You always have... What's it fucking called? Like, There's dangerous shoals around no, there. No, no, Here's no, no, no. What's, what's the radar thing we have called? Oh, That's the AIS. Yeah, it's the AIS. AIS. So it's like automatic fucking information system or something. So anyone, anyone that appears on your radar, you can just click on it and it'll tell you like ocean rowing boat endurance or fucking cargo ship fucking whatever. And because the sea's a bit fucking choppy, they couldn't get an Like we weren't appearing on their radar, right? Because it's a really small fucking boat. And they were just watching our fucking navigation light come around the northern tip of Barbados. Really fucking slowly, I might ask. It's not like we were actual drug smugglers. And then, they, and then we, we turned the... I, I didn't. Will and Junior turned the navigation light off so they could see the shoreline because, you know, it's a big white light. It mm. fucks your night vision, right? So they were just trying to look at the shoreline to see where we were on the chart because um, Nutty put his fucking heel through the actual fucking GPS repeater on, on the deck. <laughs> it's another fucking funny story. <laughs> and then, uh, so the second half of the road, we didn't have a GPS repeater on the upper deck. But yeah, they just turned off the light to see the, see the shoreline. And then because because they'd just seen a light go out, they thought it was like some weird drug smuggling fucking mission going on. We're going to drop some drugs off onto Barbados. Because I didn't actually realise, but after being there for a bit, it turns out it's a huge drug smuggling route out of like French Guyana, like, you know, from going up to America through the Caribbean. And then, yeah, they pulled us over. Fuck. And then... And there were four of us naked. And they they wouldn't let us go because our intention was to go to Barbados. And we'd just been at sea for seven weeks. And they didn't believe us. They didn't really fucking care about believing us. They couldn't us. comprehend it. I and they were like, nope, you're going to have to go to Barbados and do the COVID test and go into like two weeks isolation or whatever it was at the height of the fucking COVID mm. thing in Barbados. Because they didn't have any COVID cases on the island, so they didn't want to bring any on. So there was no lockdown on the island. Well, there was a semi-lockdown on the island. And yeah. then they, they, so we were like a mile away from where we were going to land anyway, and they towed us in. And then we got off the rowing boat for the first time. And like Will jumped off and like spied a monkey across the fucking hard and almost fell in the water at the other side of the jetty. And I was like, fucking hell, what the fuck's up with him? So I jumped off and started on my hands and knees trying to crawl up the jetty. Like I couldn't stand up, mate. 
And then Nasty did the same. Virginia was just laughing on the boat. Would you, it's still in pretty calm waters, you know, like flat. I was like, how the fuck? And he was like, fucking hell, you guys are trying to take the piss out of me or something. Like, it's not that bad. And then he jumped off and fucking rolled around on the jetty, mate. <laughs> and then, we, then there was a hose pipe on the jetty and we were like, fuck. We hadn't had a proper fucking wash in seven weeks, mate. Yeah, shit. Not fresh water, right? And so we were all hosing each other down using a bit of shower gel that we had on the boat. Like, we were trying to hose each other down. Like, still completely fucking naked. And then there's these four fucking um, black, black guys from the Coast Guard. Like, what the fuck do we do with these cunts? Like, <laughs> they, went, they went and got us some Nature Valley oat bars yeah. and gave us them and some, and some uh, juice as well. It's got... They were really nice to us in the end, but they just didn't know what to do with us because we couldn't stand up, mate, when we got off the boat. <laughs> what time of day was this when you arrived? About three in the morning. Yeah. Right? So yeah. there wasn't, there wasn't like, people that. waiting for you or what? No, there was. There was. There was oh, there were. Loads of our friends and family had flown out to Barbados. But they were under fucking quarantine, so... Not quarantine, not lockdown, sorry. So, like, seven in the morning, mm. the curfew is what they're looking for. Yeah. So they could go out between seven in the morning at nine at night or something. Mm. So then, anyway, we we just fucked around for a few hours. Like, had a wash and some Nature Valley oat bars and chewed the fat with a coast guard. <laughs> and then um, rode back out a mile and then rode in for the sake of the um, friends and family. Mm. Oh, so did people come after you'd got there and you wanted to do the procession and rowing or what? No, they'd been there for a few days waiting for us to come in. Yeah. So why did you go out a mile and then come back then? Because they could the they, because the people on Barbados could only um, start doing their usual daily business at 7am in the morning like, ah, okay. it was a curfew yeah. so you were too early previously yeah otherwise we were saying to each other we'll just bob around in the like the westward the west of the Isle of Barbados is pretty calm water you know because the Atlantic's coming from the the east so we thought we'd just bob around here and just mess around until they come in fuck well yeah we got nicked <laughs> 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 That's mad. So, could you literally not stand when you got off? Nah, couldn't. Had you stood on the boat? Yes, you, you stand on the boat because it's swaying all the time. You're so used to that motion. Uh, you got you, you get your sea legs, basically. Yeah. And you're so used to that motion. And then when you step on dry land, it's as if you need to learn how to walk again. It's, it's a very strange sensation. It's like, yeah. we were crawling. Yeah, when we, we, got, off, when we got off the boat, we had, we had, we had like someone lashes up a huge fucking... Nice spread of Pier 1 for Port St. Charles in Barbados, mate. Like, lovely fucking nice breakfast, everything. Mm, full English breakfast. And everyone kept saying to me, fucking hell, you drank already? And I was like, no, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> got nothing to do with the rum punch yeah, I've just yeah, been given. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, bouncing into pillars and stuff like that. Because your legs, like, don't know. You, I mean, you use a lot of um, mass in your legs. Because you're, yeah. you're not walking around like you would usually. Yeah, fuck, true. Did he, eating feel weird and drinking, like alcohol? No. Or obviously no, you already been eating. It but. was nice to have a, I think it, I think I had two full English breakfast, I think you did as well, and probably about four pints of tea. <laughs> and, yeah. then, and then carried, and then started drinking. Well, I, I, I didn't had, have any tea, but I, then you started I went the fuck. straight on the fucking rum punch. <laughs> you were on the rum punch, <laughs> yeah. yeah I was on the rum punch. Started the really five-week bed show. Jesus then, Christ. Yeah, so you spent seven really weeks drying and then five weeks drinking. Yeah. The contrast. <laughs> yes, mate. To be honest with you, that's exactly what happened. Look. That's mad. Jesus. What would you say was the... the single hardest moment 
of the row. Getting the boat to the start line. Like fundraising and all those all that all that time beforehand to get the boat to the start line. I think mm. I think that was the hardest thing. A lot a lot of the time you have to remember we had no experience we were just fucking soldiers, mate. We had no experience in the world of business and fundraising or anything. And then now obviously after the row we've got a lot more opportunities and I'm dealing with them a lot better and more intelligently. But yeah. we we learnt a lot of lessons well, like everyone does, you know, you have to start from somewhere, brother. You have to start from somewhere. Yeah. What about actually on, on in the row itself? Was it like a fuck this moment? I mean, I'm sure there was quite a few, but you can't you can't yeah. afford to have a fuck this moment. No, bro. yeah. You, the boat just has to keep moving. The the, the greatest frustrations. What's the fucking hard? That's a, I'm still sorry. I'm just fucking talking shit. What's that? How do you answer that question? Maybe it was when the the boat speed dropped and there was a day where the wind was against us the current was against us and we weren't going anywhere we were going backwards that mm. that was that was difficult I don't know about you Brucey but I thought that was quite I remember if you were talking about what I think you're talking about we'd start the fucking so we have a parachute anchor it's like a parachute you just chuck in the water so if the wind's against you you just stick a parachute in the water so you don't lose as much ground and then you just have to wait out with it because you're just wasting energy trying to row into it. Yeah. That wasn't that bad for me, mate. I wasn't I wasn't happy to not be rowing. Not, not he struggled, really struggled with that one. And he kept, so we, we kept doing the same shift routine so we'd have space in the cabins, you know, so I'd just be on deck not rowing and the same with Nutty for three hours. And I was like, fuck, should we just row? Should we just row? And I'm like, nah, mate, we're not going to fucking... We're just wasting our energy. But that wasn't the hardest point for me. Yeah, mad. But yeah, that really fucked me. I, 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 I fucking hell, what was the hardest point for me? I definitely had ups and downs, man. I definitely, definitely had ups and downs. Shad recounting it now it all blurs into fucking one weird this is like one ocean run yeah done that but it took fucking seven weeks like how do you remember the fucking yeah true long time I guess all quite similar anyway do you think you'll ever do it again yeah I intend to do it again yeah when I was going to do it this year but then we started messing around with the Antarctic survey and fucking weird fucking Arctic exploration so we start we shit should we talk about the Mission Atlantic for a second yeah I was going to mention that I, f- I forgot what it's called yeah so what is that so yeah it's it it born of a um, in a weird way so me and, me and Chris Martin who helped us out loads it was his boat right that we rode in and we me and him were driving up to um, Newark to Freight International to meet a guy called Moz, who's also an ocean rower. Oh, he's rowed an ocean, anyway. And on the drive down, me and Chris were really chatting, like, because he, he's got a couple of ocean rowing boats and he, he used to uh, he used to run and own the Great Pacific Race. And he, 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 he started speaking to me about the idea of having a, a kayak, an ocean kayak race, which people have kayaks across the ocean in, like, some weird boats. They have a little fucking tube that you're sleeping on the end of the kayak. Anyway, if you're interested, Google it and have a look at it. But um, and he was saying to me, we should start a 
so was the other fucking ocean kayak race. I was like, nah, because everyone that wants to kayak across an ocean, they don't care about an event. There's no there's no market for for having an ocean kayak race, right? Everyone does it by themselves. You're not going to be able to get a lot of fucking en- entrance into that. But but being in the core, everyone that me and Nutty have spoken to is like, yeah, I'd love to row an ocean. I'd love to have rowed an ocean, which it turns out a lot of people, they talk a big... A lot of people talk a good ocean row, but they don't actually fucking <laughs> hmm. um, deliver on it. <laughs> can imagine. But yeah, so I said to Chris, it'd be a lot easier if we start marketing the boats that you already have. I have a military themed... Um, so we, we get a lot of people from the military into these fucking boats. And he was like, yeah, sure. So we had a... This year we meant to have five boats and two of them dropped out for... We had a two-power boat, which obviously they went to do the recall from Afghanistan. So they had to pull out. Then we've got three Marines boats in this year and another boat which dropped out for other reasons. But next year we've got four boats. So then it came to the point where, like, shit, we're going to have to just give this event a um, a formal name. And now it's called Mission Atlantic. So to, back, to backtrack a little bit, I, w- I was getting swamped down with loads of people talking a good ocean row and trying to find out, to create a bit of competition, you know, between the Marines and the Paros, like an ancient rivalry, to, to get this event off the ground and to have something to make a good fucking story, you know, that could that could last years, you know, if you had a standing team between the Marines and the Paros. And then, yeah, we got messed around so much, we had to start charging a deposit for every boat. So it's a £7,500 deposit for each boat that enters. Just mm. as a little bit of skin on the table, so that they're mm. committed to actually. But it broke my heart when we when we made the decision to um, start charging deposit. I wasn't about that shit, man. But then it, it showed me a different side of the fucking guys. You know, not all of them are where the, not all of their hearts are where their mouths are. You know. Hmm. Yeah. True. Probably like a, a lot of things in life. To be fair. Fuck. Yeah. Well. It, I think I said to you a few months ago, I'd rather the Atlantic, but it's one thing saying it, no fucking thing doing it. So I, re- I reckon, well, I say I reckon I'd do it. I reckon I could do it, but it would take a lot for sure. Matty, one day, man, I'll do it with you, brother, if you want to do it. I reckon I, I reckon I do want to do it, yeah, to be fair. I just, yeah, it'd just be fucking, sounds like a bloody adventure, to be fair probably it's easy to say that sat here on a fucking sofa having had two beers and a red wine <laughs> but jeez I, I reckon I'd be more likely to do that than fucking run a marathon which I used to speak about doing so I feel like it's rowing it's, it's like water I don't know I feel like there's some there's something there with it but fuck I might, might have to get it arranged it's not an accident so we're sitting there in the living room looking at the Thames as we speak is it there's something that calls to you about from the water isn't it yeah what the fuck there's a quote I forgot the fucking who fucking read it who fucking said it sorry it's from that book that we just read reading the water mm. reading the water by someone fucking goony I just remember the last name because it was weird but yeah there's a really good book that me and Nutty have just read anyway and it's, it says if there's um, magic in the world it's in the water Oh, if magic deep. exists in the world it comes from the water mm. yeah jeez something about the, the elements isn't there fire and water and, and wind is sort of like you're very you're at one with nature sounds quite chad really but it's I think it's quite levelling mm. yeah it's very true like you always feel 
well I don't know I always feel my peace if you go like listen to the sea or something yeah yeah that's true because like the whole world's become like yeah like I, I guess this experience sounds like it's like it's like the fucking opposite of what most people spend their days doing now which is just you know essentially glued to a screen living these fake lives through social media and shit yeah I think people just need to connect with nature again but you just take it back to basics and do like mm. fucking four blokes in a boat rowing over like you, you, you can't fake that shit being the Royal Marines feels like is it? I'm living in a fake life really how so I don't know man a lot of people leave school and go to university not not for the sake of getting a degree but just for the sake of putting real life off for a few more years and I think I've done very well at doing that in the Royal Marines I'm just putting real life off I'm just delaying real life by doing this kind of stuff mate <laughs> but, but, but what is real life mm, good question because yeah. I mean yeah I, I would say what you've done is a lot more substantial than what 99% of society do which is just go and follow a path that uh, they're not actually probably interested in. So putting real life off, what is that real life that you're putting off, do you think? No, yeah, it's a good point, man. Really good point. How long can you make it last? As in being being in the Marines, doing, doing this shit? Yeah, it doesn't last forever, brother. Well, I guess on that, one of the last questions then you mentioned yeah like it's not this lifestyle in forever etc what do you both see yourself doing next like obviously there's potentially another ocean row on the books arctic but, exploration as well yeah yeah we're going on the arctic survey ship HMS protector next Anta- year antarctic survey oh antarctica as, as someone pointed out to me viciously the other day oh, yeah. one, one's got polar bears and the other one's got penguins yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going True. on the Royal Navy's antarctic antarctica survey ship and going all the way down there so that'll be a great experience mm. and we'll be attached to uh, the Royal Marines Mountain Leader Troop um, and yeah go and fuck around in the other regions yeah. for a few years yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you know that'd be great experience yeah so, definitely you know it's just like another feather to your cap isn't it yeah for, I, I, I definitely think yeah it sounds like a much more colourful a much more a life of many more experiences than most people have you know sat in the typical office or I guess now home office fucking job staring mm. at a screen all day so definitely not boring by the sounds yeah, of it yeah it's interesting yeah. It's, a, it's a spice of life isn't it yeah, yeah. Um, do you mind if I fucking plug our fucking socials on there do you for Mission Atlantic <laughs> go for it yeah. I don't know if any of you care about this shit but um, <laughs> there's a page on Instagram called Mission underscore Atlantic which is probably worth checking out <laughs> anyway yeah, sick. Anything else to plug? Um, well, he's got pages on Facebook and that, but I'm not running those, so I, don't, I can't I don't remember. Know who it's it's Mission Mission Atlantic, anyway. Yeah, so check it out. Mm. If you, if you if you genuinely to anyone that's talking to anyone that's listening to this, if you find, if you actually do feel like you want to row an ocean, go on Mission Underscore Atlantic on Instagram and drop us a DM. 
So we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk from there. Can answer you any questions? <laughs> yeah. Sick. Fuck well, yeah. Jesus Christ, it's, it's a pretty sick story. Um, yeah, I, this will be the second time I've said that I'm definitely interested in potentially doing something crazy like that. But I guess, like you said before, a lot of people can talk, less people can actually do it. So we'll see. We'll see if I follow through. Um, but yeah, I think with that said, that's like a two-hour pod, pretty much. Yeah, thanks think, for having us. I think it felt like ten minutes, <laughs> just like the row. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, for, I think we'll wrap it up there. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, fucking hell. a different pod to usual. An interesting story. Two guests, mad shit. No, um, massive thanks. I genuinely appreciate um, the invite, brother. Is yeah, nice, mate, mate. Thank you very much. Good to have you on. Good to have it's you on. Great to catch up with you as well, man. It's been a while. As always, as always. Um, yeah, for, if, if you liked it, drop us a subscribe, Apple Music, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, which is where most people watch this shit. Um, share it around. New shit coming every week. I guess this started as like an entrepreneurial podcast. I mean, well, I say it started like it was two years ago, like five weeks ago. But um, yeah, the whole, the whole premise of this has always just been to get interesting people on and just sit down and talk shit and be honest and raw about shit for like 90 minutes, two hours. So I think this was one of those good episodes where we did that. So... Hope you enjoyed and yeah, share it with a friend if you think they're interested and we'll see you in the next one. Cheers for watching. Peace. <laughs>